Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. it in for Thomas towards the goal Thomas oh score what a goal by Robert Thomas he gives the Blues a 4-3 lead 23 seconds to go in regulation he goes top shelf and the Blues go in front yeah we're coming yeah we're coming Morning, everyone. Welcome to Character and Smallman 702. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy. How are you not smiling after you hear that? And boy, was Jordan Bennington correct. The Blues seem like they are coming. At least in the third period. I was kind of down. I was kind of out. I was kind of depressed after period two. And during the third period, I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. But we know the second period, not really their forte. It is not. Not really their forte. So Uh, we have to just keep the faith and keep that energy through the end of the game. Evidently, the third period is the Blues' forte now. The Blues down heading into the third, but they get goals from Mike Hoffman, his second power play goal of the night. Jordan Cairo scores at the 741 mark. And then Robert Thomas, as Curbs mentioned, with 23 seconds left in regulation, you snap Minnesota's seven-game winning streak. You win the game 4-3. to Arizona chokes, and so you're three points ahead in the standings. Randy, can we talk about Mike Hoffman for just a second? Yes. Mike Hoffman is Liam Neeson in Taken. (laughs) He has a very particular set of skills, skills he's acquired over a very long career, skills that can make it a nightmare for other people. He knows what he can do well, and boy, can he do it. What a rocket. He can shoot, and he can fire it in there. He is amazing with that shot. And I'll tell you this, he is a one-trick pony. He's never going to win a Selkie as the best defender in the league. He, he's not a heavy player. He's not going to four-check. But, man, you set him up uh, uh, in the circle on a power play, and he's going to score for you. When we first got the news that Mike Hoffman was coming to St. Louis, that's exactly what we talked yep. about. What a, what a threat he was going to be on the power play, how he could give you those those goals and you utilize that shot that he has and like you said you're not going to get everything that you want out of him certainly especially Craig Bruby in the style that he plays I'm sure he's looking at Mike Hoffman initially and thinking I wonder if this is going to be a fit here and at times it certainly wasn't but what he does well he does extremely extremely well he was phenomenal and the Blues now are very comfortable Michelle because Arizona lost last night to San Jose I don't know how that happens but they lost 4-2. They were down early. They were down 3-0 early. Got within 3-2, allowed an empty net goal. Arizona now 
has six games left. They've got two against Vegas, two against the Kings, two against San Jose. They have, at the moment, 47 points, and the Blues have 50. So the Blues are three points ahead, and the Blues have games left against Minnesota, with four against Minnesota, uh, two against Anaheim, two against Vegas, one against the Kings. So the, the Blues have nine left. If Arizona were to lose the two to Vegas and then win three of the four against the Kings and the Sharks, they would have 53 points. That would mean that the Blues would only need to pick up four points in their remaining nine games to have more points than Arizona does. And I really don't see Arizona doing much better than 500 against Vegas, the Kings, and San Jose in their last three games. If they do, tip your cap, and then the Blues will have to do more. But look at it this way. If Arizona plays 500 and they've lost now seven of nine, if they play 500 the rest of the way, Blues need four points, two wins, four overtime losses, whatever it is, to get into the playoffs. That is more than attainable for this team, especially the way that they're playing right now. I would actually be shocked if they could not pull that off. I would, too. Now, you're down last night heading into the third period three to one what did the coach say to his team during the second intermission well we just get get back on our toes and be aggressive again and like you know there are certain situations that um you know they had us hemmed in our zone and there's reasons why and i go i you know just to uh, tell the team why and what's going on but you know it's it's a mindset for me more than anything it's just you know the, staying on our toes and being aggressive and I thought we did again in a third period. We had a we had a pretty good period. I would like to know why. Why can't Tory Krug and Kev, uh, Justin Falk get the puck out of their own zone? Why do the Wild look like the Stanley Cup champion Blues against the Blues? Krug and Falk had like a two minute shift where they couldn't get the puck out of their own zone. They were exhausted. The Blues got really lucky in the second period when Minnesota didn't do more damage. It's one of the more confusing trends that I've seen out of one of our local teams in a while. The fact that you can come out hot a lot of times, you can finish strong and even dig yourself out of a hole. But in the middle of the game, for some reason, that second period just seems to plank them. And that'll kill you in the playoffs. Oh, big time. If you're going against Colorado or Vegas. Some of the other interesting aspects to last night, uh, the Blues got really good work out of multiple players. I thought Nico Mikola played really well. We keep talking about how the Blues need more size defensively. And he played 15-47. I thought he was very solid. And Tarasenko had an assist, had a nice setup, so you had to like what he did. And then Biddington is in the zone right now. He is. He's playing great. And um, I think Jeremy Rutherford put it best last night when he said that Zach Sanford will also be buying Jordan Bennington a beer after that game. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of Jordan Bennington's performance. I don't know what has happened to Zach Sanford. Another rough, rough turnover from him. And the same two teams tonight, they play back-to-backers. I'm interested to see. We talked about it yesterday. Interested to see if Bennington will be back between the pipes tonight. I would put him in to tonight's game if I were Craig Berube. 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff. Would you? I would, too. We said, both of us said yesterday that we would, and then especially after that performance last night, you're you're looking at this race that you have to, to clinch a playoff spot. The team is playing so hot. Jordan Bennington is playing hot. He's likely going to want to go, and I know that there will be concerns about preservation and making sure that he's rested, but I think, if not now, when? Now's the time. Yeah. Michelle, we've got sick of it coming up in the next segment. We want people to text in 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. Can I give you an early one? Of course. And I don't even 
know this show, but I am sick of the Phillies postgame show. Oh, okay. Last night, tie game, 3-3, sixth <laughs> inning, Henesis Cabrera starts the inning. First pitch hits Bryce Harper. Joe Girardi complains, goes back to the dugout. Henesis Cabrera proceeds to hit uh, D.D. Gregorius. 3-3 game, sixth inning. On the postgame show with John Cruck and former Cardinal Ricky Batalico, they intimated that Cabrera intentionally hit Harper oh, in a 3-3 game to start off the sixth inning. Did they Did they say that? Yeah, they well, they intimated that. They, 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 they talked about how the Phillies need to come back and get retaliation in today's day game and that they're sick of the Cardinals hitting people. Okay, clearly he didn't have it last night. Clearly he felt very badly about it. He apologized after the yeah. game. And Mike Schilt could not take him out. He right. was, his hands were tied. So it's not as if Henesis Cabrera came out there with the intent to throw a, a 97-mile-per-hour ball to Bryce Harper's face and then hit the f- following batter. That doesn't really seem like a smart move. No, to put the on the, his part the lead and ultimately winning run yes. on base? No, why, why would be, that be the strategy? Yeah, and... I get Cruck because he's just not very bright. I don't. Maybe Ricky Patalico has concussion problems. I don't know what the problem is, or maybe they're just not that smart. But those were not smart comments that those guys made last night on the Phillies postgame show. So I'm sick of them. You have every right to be sick of them, and maybe they, obviously being from Philly, interpreted it a different way. Um, but I, I certainly, from what my eye saw, did not yep. think that there was intent hey. behind that or Let, ill intent behind that. Let's try to be smart. 3-3 three, three game, sixth inning. By the way, McCutcheon singles home the pinch runner Matt Joyce, 4-3, and Philadelphia winds up winning 5-3. And it's interesting, Michelle, how after the malaise of the playoffs of 2019 and last year, I fully expected the Cardinals to come back and tie and win that game. Multiple times, I thought the Cardinals were going to come back. So did I, multiple times. I thought that they were going to be able to rally and come back, but it just didn't happen. No, you had runners on base with uh, Edmund uh, Edmund singling, and then you have uh, Goldschmidt up in the seventh inning. He flies out. You think there's an opportunity there, and the Cardinals have an opportunity later on and you, you think okay well we'll get a home run here and they just can't put it away so the cardinals now 12 and 12 and just kind of where they are it's who it, it just feels like a 500 team at the moment i think they're going to be fine i think they're going to win their division but they are what the record says they are also what did you think about when joe girardi got ejected him ejecting the umpire i thought that was a pretty smooth move <laughs> yeah i'm a joe girardi fan i think he's me a good too. manager me too and I also get, you know, if, if Girardi's going to yell at Hennessy's Cabrera, I get why Mike Schilt would yell at Joe Girardi. Absolutely. Both, both of them had the right mindset. If I was Joe Girardi, I would yell at the player that just plunked two of my players. And if I'm Mike Schilt, I'm defending my guy as well. But also, it's, it's great to see that Bryce Harper did post a video where you saw his face after the game. He assured everyone that the scans came back. He's fine, which is actually remarkable that you could take a fastball directly to the center of your face and be completely fine. It's amazing. It's amazing, but I'm, I'm very thankful that he's okay. So the Cardinals lose, the Blues win at the NFL draft tonight, and Blues tonight, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. Coming up with Carriker and Smallman, it is Sick of It. Get your text in right now to 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
We do appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Sick of It. You ready? I'm ready. All right, uh, Michelle, tonight is the NFL draft. It is, yes, confirmed. And there is a report now out of San Francisco that the 49ers have settled on who they're picking with the third pick in the draft that they acquired six weeks ago. I am sick of the fact that the 49ers just can't make up their mind. To me, if you trade for the third pick in the draft, you should know when you make that choice, when you make that trade, who your choice is going to be. I'm sick of them not knowing. Maybe they have known all along. Maybe they identified their man at the time they acquired the pick, but they just like messing with everyone during draft time. They sure are messing with people. Yeah, there's smoke screens all over the place. Yeah, we like five guys. We just don't know what order. Yeah, Justin Fields, great. Trey Lance, a lot of guys in the building are enamored with him. I don't know. Maybe it could be him. Kyle Shanahan loves Mac Jones. A lot of rumors going on. And by the way, Adam Schefter reporting that it's apparently going to be Mac Jones that they loved Mac Jones when they made the trade but North Dakota's Trey Lance caught their eye later and uh, the gap between Jones and Trey Lance has been narrowed but Jones is still the guy at the moment okay let's go see. back let's see if they do it do you remember speaking of smoke screens I don't know why this just popped into my head but you remember the rumor that the Rams wanted to draft Johnny Manziel yes <laughs> that would have been entertaining it, it wouldn't have lacked for news. We no. would have definitely had a lot of headlines to work with in might our have, industry. The thing was, that might have sold tickets. And that's not something that they were in the business of doing at the time of that draft. Also wouldn't have been a great draft pick. No, that would have been, it would have fit the mold. It would have fit the mold, <laughs> yes. So I wouldn't be surprised. But I just remember at the time reading, Jeff Fisher really likes Johnny Manziel. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Jones had to be talked out of trading for him. Oh, yeah, I remember that. He loved him. Yeah. Okay, Randy, I have two. I'll give you two briefly. There's nothing worse than people complaining about bad travel stories or bad technology fails, but I'm going to do it right here. All right. Because I think a lot of people in St. Louis can identify with what I'm about to say. When you can't get something on your television to work, particularly when you're trying to watch a sporting event that you really, really, really want to watch, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than a technology fail that you can't in any way fix, whether it's with your phone or your computer or your television. And I am sick of it because I'm dealing with multiple technology fails at once. These headphones that I have (laughs) constantly dying. My phone, Randy, is so out of storage that I'm going to have to get a new phone, but I have to delete a bunch of stuff off my phone to even send texts these days. And then, of course, we talked yesterday about my issues with the the new Bally Sports app on my smart TV. Thankfully, yesterday, after many deletions of the app and reinstalls I was able to get it working in about the seventh inning of the Cardinals game but it's so frustrating because there's literally nothing you can do about any of this stuff that is something to get sick of in a I'm hurry. so sick of it I'm so sick of it and then I think a lot of other people in St. Louis are sick of this the blue second period sick of it I'm sick of that trend yeah we need to fix that but no no travel issues at least at the moment I would prefer those because at least I would be going on vacation and there'd be light at the end of the tunnel. At least there would be a beach and a a cocktail with my name on it at the end of the nightmare. uh, So I've got Michelle and I've got Emily. Emily, what do you got for us? I understand. I'll I'll put a name tag on so you can see it. Real quick, I've got a really good travel story. So is it? 
It, it is. Okay, this better deliver. It I'm is. just warning you because most people think they have good travel stories and then they tell other people. And if you're not in it, it doesn't hit the same. So I'm just telling you, the pressure is on. <laughs> okay. So my my dad, my stepmom, my brother and I, we were at the airport. This was an early flight and we were going to the Dominican Republic. This was like four years ago now, four summers ago. And I think it was like 6 a.m. And we were about to board and it was early. So we were already a little grumpy. And they're like, okay, we've got a little bit of a delay. And we're like, what is going on? And we look outside, and this is something you never want to see. The emergency slide has been um, deployed. Deployed. Wow. And so we're told, okay, it's just going to be a few hours. we got to get this figured out. Somehow, like, a flight attendant had knocked into it or deployed it somehow. So we were like, all right, we're going to be at the beach. We're going to have this great day. Like we had planned to be there early and have this extra day at the beach. We had a 12 hour delay, 12 hour delay. That's brutal. And we just sat at Lambert. Yeah, I I was definitely, and I feel bad for the people that are the victim of my blackout rage in situations like that. Oh, big time. I feel very bad for the people that I had to call about my cable service Mm -hmm. that couldn't do anything about it because it wasn't their issue. It was the app's issue. So I'm, but I was very calm. I did a lot of, I know this is not your fault, but I need to watch this game. (laughs) Yeah, they had to drive a, I think they drove the door in from like O'Hare Oh, man. So. Yeah, I, that would drive me nuts. We flew out at 6 p.m. instead. Yeah. Fantastic. That would be a bad day. All right. From the 618, I am sick of the NBC sports announcers downing the Blues. No love. Yeah, they never have really loved the Blues. That's, why, that's one of the reasons it was so fun back in 2019. Doc Emmerich it is and was a Blues fan. But I'm with you. The rest of the time, it seems like they've got... An agenda, an anti-Blues agenda. Maybe that's because I'm a Blues fan. During the 19 playoffs, I remember getting so angry during the Blues Shark series Mm -hmm. when the entire narrative was San Jose has got to win one for Joe Thornton. I was like, really? Really? How about the Blues who have never won a cup before in a hockey crazy town? A franchise that has had so much talent and has been to the playoffs so many times. You don't think that's worthy of a big time mention? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's just an NBC thing. I don't know why they don't like us. But let's uh, let's use it as motivation. Okay, chip on our shoulder. Yep. This one's really good. From the 309, my four-year-old nephew was asked by his mom to say his ABCs, and he said, I can't. I'm sick of these ABCs. Sick of it. Sick of it. Yep. Sick of it. Thank you. I'm glad this four-year-old's listening to the show and understands that that's the correct response. It is. From the 314, as a pharmacist, I'm sick of getting yelled at by patients for their doctor's office's incompetence. Oh, yeah. That does stink. You can't really do anything about that because the doctor's made the call, the doctor's written out the prescription, and you're just filling what has been given to you. And sometimes the incompetence is that the doctor didn't call or send the prescription in. So you get to your pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, whatever, say, I got to pick up for Randy Carricker, and they say, you didn't get any information (laughs) about that. I can understand the pharmacist's dismay. I would be sick of it, too. They go, who? We need need communication here. Yeah, we do. Now you think with technology that there's probably an app that you can track everything in. You would think that there'd be something. Yeah, you would think so. Or just find an illegal means. (laughs) Are you talking black market here? Yeah. Okay. 
from the 314, I am sick of Bryce Harper being so gracious. It's like, come on, just start a brawl already so we can be entertained. I don't dislike Bryce Harper. I, I, I find him very entertaining. I like and him, too. I, I hope he does well. I felt bad that he got hit. Me, too. I hated it. So, yeah, you'd like the guy to have a little bit more sandpaper and be mad at Cabrera. But he's not. He just, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I also think in that moment, you'd be very concerned about your face. Yeah, true. I don't think I could think about retaliation because I'd be concerned that my face wasn't shattered into a million pieces. It'd be interesting to know what he thought at that moment. Like, was his nose, were his eyes messed up? It'd be interesting to know. One time, Blues used to have a color commentator and analyst by the name of Gus Beck in the late 70s, early 80s. He worked with Dan Kelly. And Mike Liute, this time of year, got hit by a puck in the face, in the mask. And he has to leave the game, comes back out in the to the bench in the third period, but he's not in the game. And Gus Kyle said, I don't think that... Mike Lee is going to be able to come back into this game. You know, that blood is running from his nose right down into his eyes and he can't see. Oh. Well, think about that, though. Yeah. You, you can't have blood running from your nose down into no, your No, you eyes. can't. But still, even the, 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 the thought, visual? yeah, of blood running down yeah. your face like that. But no, you can't have but it running back into your eyes. That's why Gus was great. We got a barn burner. From the 314, I'm sick of Rob Manfred's rule tweaking. No home run derbies. Let baseball players play baseball. Well, this is just the Pioneer League, yep. so th- don't put this one on Rob Manfred. No, he's he's just worried about that hunk of metal at the end of the series, yeah. at the end of the World Series. I wonder if Manfred, based on his comments the other day, and if you haven't heard, Adam Silver said to Manfred, "Hey, quit talking about your pace of play. Your pace of play for gambling is perfect." I wonder if Manfred will walk some of his complaints back now, when thinking about that, because gambling is going to be a massive part of baseball in the next year or two. Yes, true. And I I will be very interested to see which of those wins out. Because, yes, gambling is running the show right now. And he's absolutely right. Adam Silver, with the pace of baseball, people are going to be able to get bets in with a quickness. It's going to be very great to bet in game if you're so inclined. But I'm With the FanDuel Sportsbook app, by the way. Yeah, promo code SMALLS. Be sure to download that. It's great. However... If you are not gambling or you're watching from home and you're just consuming the game because you're curious about the outcome or because it's your team, it's still a really, really, really long product most of the time. Yeah. As an aside, do you two think that there's anybody besides Rob Manfred that likes the three batter minimum rule? Managers don't like it. Fans don't like it. Hitters don't like it. Who likes it besides him? Probably the people that pitched it to him. (laughs) I wonder who did that, that though. I, I don't think that he came up with that. I'm sure they have a think tank and people presented him with ideas and they probably have some sort of a council that agrees on it and he's the face of it. Yeah, there might be maybe a half dozen people in the entire world that like that. Yeah, and last night it was just ridiculous ridiculous to have Cabrera still be in that situation. Yeah, I think that last night, even though it was kind of an outlier, I think it's a prime example of why it doesn't work. Yeah. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Our friend Greg Amzinger actually gets his paychecks from MLB Network. So we're going to ask him next, who likes the three batter minimum? He might know somebody. Stick around. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
Let's head right to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line and our good friend, the native St. Louis and product of the Lindenwood University, the one and only Greg Amzinger, joins us as he does every Thursday morning at this time on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I am doing really well, Randy. I, I feel refreshed. at a day off yesterday. It was 90 degrees here in New Jersey. I went and played golf with uh, my agent. Played really well. Had a great dinner. Watched baseball all night. I, I mean, I, I really can't ask for a better Wednesday. It was it was great. All right. So uh, you played golf with Ari Gold. Was Lloyd there? <laughs> Love Lloyd. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not getting along right now. So it was just the two of us. It was just the two of us. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, I want to start with this. Last night. Tie game, 3-3, sixth inning. Cardinals bring in Henesis Cabrera. He hits Bryce Harper, then he hits D.D. Gregorius. Mike Schilt obviously would like to take him out, but he can't because of the three-batter minimum. And I want to know if you know of anybody besides your boss, the commissioner, that likes the three-batter minimum rule. I, I think the idea uh, is a step in the right direction to keep the game moving. We were seeing way too many... Uh, pitching changes um, and managers really got into the matchup game. So it was getting out of hand. And especially in the month of September when the games mattered uh, into the postseason. But what happened last night, to me, I don't think it's it's the three batter minimum. I I, I know that's what everyone's talking about. Home plate umpire, the, the crew chief, you got to get him out of the game. You, you just eject a guy. And, and it's not because you think he's a bad person. If he is detrimental to the safety of the other team, get him out of the game. And that was Joe Girardi's argument. That's why he was so upset. After you hit Bryce Harper in the face with 96 miles an hour, and then you trill the next hitter, and then you've got Andrew McCutcheon shaking in his boots, like, why do I have to face this guy? (laughs) If the kid doesn't have it, then the the umpires are there to make sure players are still safe. And to me, you got to get the pitcher out of the game. The fact that, oh, this is the rule. He's got to drill someone else. Like, no, that's, that, that makes no sense to me. I understood completely why, why Joe Girardi was upset. Um, I don't mind the rule, the three batter minimum. Any idea that is keeping the game moving in one direction, the specialist stuff, I'm not a fan of. You know, and I say that as, as Dan Plesak's one of my great friends. He would not have had an 18-year career if he wasn't a lefty specialist. He came in to get Barry Bonds out, and then they took him out. He came in to get Mo Vaughn out, and then they took him out. I, I think we need to make sure guys can g- contribute more than just that. So I'm okay with the rule, but last night it really wasn't about the rule to me. You had to get this kid out of the game. Greg, speaking of changes to the game, the Pioneer League announced that they're going to decide games with a home run derby instead of extra innings. Your thoughts? Uh, it's fun. Uh, again, anything that's uh, we're trying something new. Clearly, as you can see, baseball as a whole is making an attempt to be different and, and, and to be more exciting. These ideas aren't just coming from the Pioneer League. I mean, Major League Baseball has their toe in all of these pools to try to get excitement and to see what works. I don't know if this will be the answer in the major league baseball product. If this takes off in the pioneer league only because, you know, one of the cool things that I get to do is, is I get to MC the home run derby, the major league home run derby during the all-star week. And to be on the field, you know, with a microphone in my hand, getting the crowd fired up and interacting with the guys competing, I get to see how exhausting it is for these guys up close 
to swing that hard that many times. And I'm not saying these guys are going to, you know, try to hit 40 home runs like Pete Alonso, but you know what? Like three days in a row, it'll say back to back extra inning games. You got your big bopper, and, and he's doing this home run derby to decide back to back games. Health of players is number one, and it's vital. That's why I'm not a fan of moving the mound back, even a foot. Guys are used to what they're used to when it comes to the mechanics of how they pitch and how they swing. And, and home run derby to me is going to teach bad habits and, and the overswinging. I can just see pulled oblique left and right. But again, as, as, I, as I curb my enthusiasm for some of this change, I'm excited that we're trying new things. That, that to me, puts a smile on my face. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Greg, the other day, the Yankees traded Mike Talkman to the Giants for a middling left-hander. Uh, Mike Talkman, a nice left-handed hitting outfielder, was not having a good year, didn't have a good year last year. I still would have liked to have seen the Cardinals get him. I am 100% with you. I said that exact same thing in commercial break when I found out that he was traded to the Giants. I, I like him a lot. I liked him when he came up in the Colorado Rockies system. Uh, he, he's athletic. He can steal you a base. Remember, he got hot a couple of years ago with the New York Yankees when they acquired him. We didn't know why they did. Brian Cashman, out of nowhere, goes and gets some Talkman guy, some Voight guy, and no one understands why. And all these guys did was take off. Uh, Gio Urshela, he was on the scrap heap. The Cleveland Indians didn't want him. And all these guys, that he, you know, literally reclamation projects, he stockpiled them together, and they put together a good run for the Yankees. It's interesting that the San Francisco Giants, the team that got him instead, spacious outfield, totally get it. Uh, but they're trying to tinker. And, and what they've got to me is they're, they're about to be a force again. All of the money of the belt contract, um, you know, Crawford, they got a lot of money coming off the books next year. And they're going to be free agent players. They're going to get one of these shortstops. This great shortstop class, don't be surprised if Carlos Correa is wearing a San Francisco Giants uniform. The other thing that's dangerous about them, look at their starting rotation. They've got a bunch of reclamation projects that at the moment are all working out. Anthony DiSclefani, he's got swing and miss stuff right now. Uh, Kevin Gossman, swing and miss stuff right now. Aaron Sanchez, uh, Alex Wood, Johnny Cueto looked good until he went on the IL. They've got guys that they're going to trade. I'm not saying that this team's going to the playoffs. They're a pleasant surprise. But they're going to accumulate young talent this year by trading these guys that got a one-year deals that, that had swing and miss stuff at one point, got it back, and the Giants are going to be a dangerous team. But you're right. The Cardinals should have got Talkman. He would have been a great fit in St. Louis. And he goes three for four in his Giants debut last night. Another team I want to ask you about, because you were on them during spring training, is the Royals. The Giants uh, right now have the – they're tied for the best record in the National League. Royals have the best record in baseball mm-hmm. at 15-8. and eight. They've won seven of their last ten. Is this sustainable for Kansas City? I think it is. I, I really do. I, I'm wondering if the bullpen needs help. It was. It's a cute idea to bring back Wade Davis, to bring back Greg Holland. For some reason, he can get people out if he's not wearing a Cardinal uniform. Um, <laughs> but this, they're going to have to add to that bullpen. The, the, the Royals, to me, and I said it before the season started, they've just got so much firepower. And, and the, the scary part about their team, if you look at, at their batting averages, Hunter Dozier is off to a terrible start. They locked him up, and they really like him. Uh, Sal Perez is an MVP candidate right now. What he's doing for that team, batting third, walk-off homers, leading the staff, 
such a good target behind the play. He controls the running game. He's the leader of that of that club, and and it's fun to see him, the last man standing of that core group that won the World Series years back. He's the last guy, and they pick the right one. He's so important to that team. With Merrifield getting on base, another scary part for that club. Hunter Dozier's gonna get going. Alberto Mondesi hasn't even played yet, and, right. and he led all baseball in stolen bases. He's so dangerous. I, 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 I'm sticking with the Royals as the surprise team. And have you been watching my MVP pick, Byron Buxton? Five for five last night, hitting 438 for the Minnesota Twins, eight home runs leading baseball. He's here to stay as well. In his seventh year in the big leagues, you're looking at maybe the most talented player in the American League. I'll put Tatis most talented in the NL. Byron Buxton is more talented than Mike Trout. I'm sorry. You could don't swerve off the highway. Listen to me say that watch Byron Buxton play right now. There's no one better. Wow. Greg, we have a very good view on to Olive Boulevard and cars are going left and right. You really just got people <laughs> worked up with that one. Okay. If the Royals are for real, Greg, which team in baseball that got off to a hot start is fool's gold. Ooh, well, I'm going to go giants automatically. I don't think that's really going to, be sustainable. I, I'm going to say the Boston Red Sox. There's no chance the Red Sox end up winning the East. I, I, Alex Cora is proving that managers matter. He's such a good manager. Winning one nothing last night in a Jacob DeGrom game. I swear there's a popularity issue with that guy. I, I don't know what it is because baseball is such a, a you know, fine line between excellence and mediocrity. For some reason, I, 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 why? Nick Pavetta is that dominant for the Boston Red Sox that the New York Mets can't muster a run? I hear this argument all the time. When Jacob DeGrom is pitching, I, I'm like, I don't get it. There's something mental going on. And then all the guys at work are like, well, he's facing another ace. I've been paying attention <laughs> to this. He's not facing other aces, man. The schedule doesn't line up perfectly like that. For some reason, the Mets don't hit when Jacob DeGrom pitches. He's 2-2 two and two with a 0.5 ERA. That's crazy to me. Uh, the Red Sox got the win last night. I don't think they have enough starting pitching to make this happen all the way through. Matt Barnes has been a good closer so far. I'm not believing in the bullpen either. I think they're pitching, even if they get Chris Sale come back, is going to eventually crumble. So I would give you the Giants and the Boston Red Sox in the East. And Greg DeGrom, 188 career starts now, and 82 of them, he's allowed zero runs or one run. <laughs> come on. He needs to like show up with a bunch of tacos from Taco Bell for everyone before a game and then be a pleasant surprise. And like, Ooh, are these bean burritos? Dude, Jacob, <laughs> thank you. Like feed your boys, like do something, give them a gift because for some reason they just don't show up to hit. It's the weirdest thing ever. I think Taco Bell's the play, Greg. I think you're right. Um, last one from me, Adoles Garcia named the American league player of the week. Is he going to be another one that we have to put on the Cardinals? Let him get away list. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, without a doubt, it is painful, right? Uh, and, and look, he's another player that is – there's going to be another one on that list too, by the way. Magnaria Sierra is eventually going to get going. He might be the fastest player in baseball. He, he, he's used He's used off the bench right now for the Marlins. Um, but, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, – there are a lot of talented Latin players that the Cardinals have kind of bid farewell to and – that is exactly what this team needs right now. You need an Adolis Garcia running around in center field you, you, so Dylan Carlson doesn't have to play center field. You need, I mean, a Randy, a Rosa Reina. I mean, just think of the, the great talent 
I don't even want to say Voight because we got Goldschmidt playing first base. He's back hitting bombs, but the Cardinals are lacking uh, that flair, and they had it when Ozuna was doing all the stuff in his hijinks in left field. Cardinals need to get that back. They they have to find that player. They've been letting go of a lot of similar talent. They have to find an athlete. I don't know where they go to do that, but I've been saying it for a long time. They're one or two bats away from being much better than the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Brewers are scary because they've got their bat on the shelf right now, Christian Yelich. So Cardinals are going to have to do something to the roster. They're going to have to. Hey, Greg, one more thing before we let you go, and that is I I have found a comfort level. It's kind of like comfort food. It's like having, like, mashed potatoes or whatever. It's the Cubs being in last place and Anthony Rizzo (laughs) pitching. (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm telling you what. Growing up, going to games in college, one of the stupidest things I ever did, me and a couple of my buddies, we went to Wrigley Field wearing all Cardinal gear and we painted our faces and it. it was a complete and utter disaster but we had to get police escort for us to leave the ballpark at Wrigley Field when I was in college so many people wanted to hurt us thank goodness Gary Gaetti came through in the clutch and hit a two-run blast and we won the day game we were talking so much trash <laughs> harassing, we were harassing Sammy Sosa who was in right field and we were just complete buffoons but I really do know like all of you that great rivalry of the Cubs and the Cardinals. And it's funny because with them in last place and the Cardinals kind of floating right now, they're eventually going to attack and I think win this division. When you watch the Dodgers and, and the Padres right now, you just know what you don't have between the Yankees and the Red Sox right now. And what you don't have between the Cardinals and the Cubs. And, and as much as I grew up hating the Chicago Cubs, it's better in St. Louis when the Cubs are good and the Cardinals are good. That rivalry is so much fun, and you're seeing it right now between two teams that really never thought of each other as rivals, but now they are, the Dodgers and the Padres. Why? Because they're both really good. So it does bring the old Greg, the uh, teenage Greg, joy to see the Cubs in last place, but the current broadcaster Greg loves baseball so much more when the Cubs and the Cardinals are trying to win the century. Hey, great to hear your voice. Glad you played well yesterday. Have Yeah, uh, man. So how'd you hit him? Come on, give us a you score. You know what? I, I, I shot in the 80s. So if I shoot in the 80s, I'm a happy camper. I'm not one of these guys that's going to lie and be like, yeah, you know, my handicap's down to a four. No, it's not. Uh, I, I took money from my agent, which is all I wanted to do at the end of the day. It was a good day. Proud of you. Hey, have a great <laughs> one. Thank you very much. We always appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, you guys are the best. Take care. See the great Greg Amzinger joining us on 101 ESPN. I don't want to have to add Garcia to that list, Randy. I don't either. Or Magnaria Sierra. That list is getting awfully long. It kind of is. Yeah. Kind of frustrating. And then Mike Talkman, for a mid-level left-handed reliever, 29-year-old mid-level reliever, winds up going three for four. Left-handed hitter, center fielder, goes three for four. Wow. And, that, and as Greg said, an athletic guy. I don't know why the Cardinals, maybe they did have interest in him, but... I can't imagine that they couldn't have outbid the the uh, Giants. with it. They sent a guy, Wandy Peralta, to the Yankees, a 29-year-old lefty that, pff, come on, you can, you're better than that. Uh, we've got to take it or leave it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Ah. 
Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, Emily. Michelle, a couple of weeks ago, Baker Mayfield and his wife Emily were, not our Emily, but his wife Emily, were out to dinner in Texas. And after they came out of the restaurant, they looked up and they saw something in the sky. And they said, what is that? And they couldn't identify it. And they determined that it was a UFO. Well, Mayfield insists that he and his wife did see a UFO. Following the Pentagon's declaration, the recent photos and videos of UFOs are real. Mayfield said, I'm a firm believer in UFOs and of Sasquatch. Take it or leave it. Oh, and of Sasquatch. Yes. If UFOs exist, if Sasquatch exists, the Browns winning a Super Bowl exists. I'll take that. Definitely. I like that he's a believer. I do, too. Yeah. He, if you think the Browns can win the Super Bowl, you better be a believer. That's right. <laughs> We never thought the Blues could do it. So if the Blues could do it, the Browns can definitely do it. Yeah, but the Blues were never the worst organization in sports for a decade. No, but Randy, we thought they were cursed, which potentially is worse. That's true. Because you can fix stupid. You can get a new or, get new people running the place. It's true. Yeah. So. You can't necessarily fix a curse. And now we know the Blues, they were not cursed. Baker said, it's real. I saw it. Come on, Baker. Do you think he also believes in Bigfoot? Isn't Sasquatch Bigfoot? Is Sasquatch, they're both the same thing, I just by a so. different name? Yeah. What is this, a regional thing? It's called, like, soda I and pop? Got, that's like a You know nickname. how we, we call it soda yeah. down here up north, they call it pop? Is exactly. It, is it south of Missouri, he's called Sasquatch, yeah. and north of <laughs> up there, the Yankees call him Bigfoot? I don't know how that works. We'll have to see if this is on Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to find this out. And uh, how, What size does Bigfoot wear? Great call. I don't know. How big are his feet? Emily. Bigfoot, also commonly referred to as Sasquatch. There we go. Okay. But does it say why the distinction? No, it just says in Canadian and American folklore is an ape-like creature that is purported to inhabit the forests of North America. So maybe it's different between Canada and the United States. Also, sorry to fire these questions at you that you may not have the answers to. Is there one singular Bigfoot? Or are there multiple Sasquatches within various forests? Or is there just one creature that we're all trying to look for? I, I would, believe there's only one. I believe one. One. Because okay. it, it, it just refers to one. In well, the how long is this creature's lifespan? Because it feels like People have been looking for Bigfoot for quite some time. You would think at some point, if there was only one Bigfoot, he or she would have expired by now. Michelle, interesting that you bring that up. In 1958, 58, the Humboldt Times, a local newspaper in Northern California, published a story about the discovery of giant mysterious footprints near Bluff Creek, California. So we're talking at least... Uh, 62 years ago, and he was probably in a, if his feet were already big by then, probably an adult by then, right? Right, right. You'd think that Bigfoot might be 82, 80 at least? Maybe Bigfoot is like a Galapagos turtle and has a very, very long lifespan. That makes sense. I can see that happening. Okay. Several people have texted in that Sasquatch is his Native American name, and in Asia they have the Yeti. Okay, great. This is so helpful. Thank you. So maybe he's. I do. I'm drinking out of Yeti right now. <laughs> Maybe he goes across the continent and is known by several names. Got it. Okay. And then he did the Geico commercial, right? Right. So people have found him yeah. because he's been able to act. Do we know? So it's a he. Bigfoot's a he? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm learning so much today. From the 314, there's a Bigfoot-type creature in Missouri. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder who it is. 
I don't know. We need to get on this. Also from the 314, before I give you my Tioli, I stopped believing in curses when Randy kissed the cup and the blue still won. We did win. We kissed it first. There, I could not believe you did that. I have never been angry with you in my life except for that <laughs> moment because I thought to myself, if there's, if this is in fact bad juju, why, Randy, would you tempt fate? Why? And as it turns out, it needed to happen so that the Blues could win the cup. That's right. You were you were right all along. I was wrong. But I'll never forget when someone first told me the cup was in-house and Randy kissed it. I go, you're out of your mind. Randy would never do that. Randy did not kiss the cup. There's photographic evidence. He knows it's forbidden. <laughs> but in fact, you did. You kissed it first. Congratulations. Okay, Randy. NFL draft tonight. Yes. A lot of rumors, a lot of smoke going on. Take it or leave it. The Chicago Bears draft a quarterback tonight. I'm going to leave that. I don't think that they're smart enough to do that. <laughs> so not it's not that they don't need to do that. You don't think they're smart enough to do that. Exactly. I thought Dan Orlovsky had an interesting approach for them this morning, though. He said, approach the draft tonight as if you don't have a quarterback on your roster. As that if Andy Dalton is not there? Doesn't exist. I think that would be a smart approach for the Bears to take. And then if Fields drops to seven or whatever... You go out and you, you, you make a deal with, the, I don't know if Detroit will deal with him, but you make a deal with somebody so that you can get a quarterback. Just looking at how many quarterbacks are going to be available and looking at the teams that are in need of a quarterback, Chicago desperately needs to do this. And if you're Ryan Pace, you definitely need to go out there and, and get a quarterback. Now, if you want to extend your shelf life in Chicago, because if you go out there with Andy Dalton, there's no way he makes it past this, this season, right? You wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think so. But, well, let's see. He, he's had two bad years in a row. But before that, actually, this year, past year wasn't terrible. But before, he had five straight playoff years for that. So he, he wasn't the worst. No, but the quarterback thing has plagued him. Mitchell the, Trubisky. Oh, Pace, you mean? Yes. Yeah, but that's why I think I, I wouldn't completely dismiss Andy Dalton as being a guy that could get them to the quarterback, to the to the playoffs. Emily, what do we got? From the 636, take it or leave it, new KHL champion Clem Costin will contribute to the Blues down the stretch and in the playoffs. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it somehow that happens. They have to protect him. Mm-hmm. I guess, they, well, uh, he's not exempt. I'm not saying they have to protect him, but he he's a guy that will be eligible for the expansion draft. That'd be interesting to see him in the mix down the stretch. Yeah, I would. Big, tough. Mm-hmm. Played well there. Yeah. From the 314, take it or leave it, Julio Jones is playing for a new team this year. Take it. Niners. I'll take it. Yeah. It's a good one. That'll, that trade might happen over the course of the weekend. I think they make some moves, whether it's Jimmy, whoever. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that they're going to be active. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Coming up, the Blues with a comeback victory last night. Are they getting too comfortable with having to come back, though? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today.
8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. The Blues coming back from a 3-1 deficit in the third to beat Minnesota last night. 4-3, Robert Thomas scoring with 23 seconds left. Michelle, in three of the last four games the Blues have won, they've had to come from behind. They took the lead against Colorado in uh, the game previous to last night, but we remember them falling behind 2-0 in the game against Colorado on Saturday against Minnesota the last time they played them and they they beat them. They won 3-2 after falling behind 1-0 and the game against uh, the Golden Knights that they won. So it's actually four of the five last five Blues victories. They've had to come from behind to win the game. On first thought, it doesn't seem sustainable. Why would you want to put yourself in that position? Obviously, as a fan, and if you're a player too, it's more comfortable to play with a lead. But I'll take these wins right now any way that I can get them. And maybe the Blues need that extra motivation. They need to feel like they have to dig out of something to have that intensity go all the way up to 100. I don't really know what the motivating factor is, but I know if if they get down early, I'm not stressed about it, at least recently. The problem is going to come come playoff time when you're playing against good teams and hot goalies. Last night, the Blues down 3-1, going against a goalie that's had his issues with the Blues in the past and a team that obviously the Blues have had pretty good success against. And Mike Hoffman, who scored a couple of power play goals, said it was important for the Blues to stick with it. Yeah, even going in the third intermission, we... Uh... You know, we're talking as a group and, you know, we've come back from plenty of games this year, so why not do it again? But yeah, no, we never gave up. We, you know, our power play got one and Ruzi got one and then we got a, you know, pretty fortunate bounce there at the end and Tomer was able to to bury it. So, you know, we we never gave up, stuck with it and it's a game of momentum and I thought we had it for majority of the third that they did, but they didn't for the first two periods. And that is concerning. I do think the Blues need to get off to better starts. That's something that for a good part of this season we've talked about. And I don't know why it's not there early for the Blues. And last night, heck, that entire second period was nearly disastrous. Yes. And I I almost am more impressed with what I'm seeing out of this team now that they're able to manufacture that sense of urgency after a, a slow start or a bad second period. I think that's hard to do. It's hard to summon that when you're in the middle of a game. Yeah. And for some reason, they came out in the third period and were able to do that. Coach Craig Ruby, what was that mindset in the third period? I thought the third period we came out with a different mindset than we did in the first, uh, second period. I was happy first and third period tonight. Second period, obviously not so happy. Well, yeah, he, he shouldn't have been. And that's the thing. What do we hear from hockey players all the time? we got to play 60 minutes. We need to play a full 60 minutes. They have not done that very often this season. Maybe it's just a personality trait of the team. But you're right. This is a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. And come playoff time, as we've seen, that's not going to it's not going to play out this way. If you're not giving us a, a full effort for the entire game for all three periods, that's going to come back to haunt you. And this is just such a different Blues team than the one that won the Stanley Cup. When you replace Petrangelo ostensibly with Falk, when you replace Bo Meester ostensibly with Tory Krug, you are nearly as big. And even last night, Minnesota outhit the Blues 26 to 17. It used to be that the Blues just didn't get outhit. And now in most games they do, but they're supposed to have skill. It'd be nice to see Krug do a little bit more. I liked having Krug and Hoffman on the power play together. That was a positive. And 
if they can just maintain some offensive zone time, and last night Minnesota owned the offensive zone in the second period, if the Blues can maintain possession of the puck in the offensive zone, they'll be fine. That's how they are going to win. I'm hoping we'll see Colton Pareko back again tonight. Bruby said there's a chance that he might play Thursday. He said we'll see how it is. But I just think that having 55 out there for the Blues brings such a different layer to their game. They really don't have, without Pareko, they don't have a shutdown defender among the group. Even though they went with seven defensemen last night, Scandella is an okay player, but he's not a... a He's not a number one pairing guy. He's best served probably at this stage of his career being on a third pair. Same with Robert Bortuzzo. We know him. Wallman is really inexperienced, probably not a top four guy. Krug should be, but defensively, he is not. He's he's a specialist. Justin Falk, he's okay, but... He's a top four guy. Mikola has a chance to be a, a top four guy, but he's not there yet. And then uh, that's what you've got. So you, you've you got seven defensemen out there and you don't have a single shutdown defender. So that's an issue that they have to deal with. And that's one of the reasons that I say, number one, like you said, get Pareko back, but don't force those guys into playing back in their own zone and trying to clear the crease. Maintain pos- puck possession as far away from your net as you possibly can. In addition to hoping that we get Colton Preco tonight, I'm hoping we see Jordan Bennington again as well. Me too. Yeah, back-to-back for Jordan. If it's if that's not done, I don't know what they're doing. You're, you're trying to make a playoff spot. Billy Huso like what he's done as a backup, but the reason that you gave Bennington all that rest early in the season is so that you could play him now in back-to-backs. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, we are going to grab our puppet strings and our top three non-quarterbacks in the NFL draft, we're going to put them in a spot where we think they would best be served. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Tonight is the NFL draft, but we are going to forego draft orders and general managers and trades and things like that. Michelle and I are going to pick our favorite three non-quarterbacks in the NFL draft, and we're going to put them on teams that we think would be fun and interesting. So we each have three players that we're going to put on a team, and... Michelle, you get to play puppeteer first. What are you going to do? Okay, Randy. So I am going to go first with Kyle Pitts. Mm. A lot of people think Kyle Pitts might be the best talent, overall talent in this draft. He is such a skilled player. I really think he's going to translate to the next level. And if I can add a playmaker like that to any team, I want to pair him in L.A. with wait for it. The Chargers. I want Justin Herbert and Kyle Pitts to become an unstoppable duo. Justin Herbert, we know offensive rookie of the year last year. He really seems to be a great pick for the Chargers. And I just imagine them having a very long and fruitful career together. Sounds fun. That'd be great, especially in that building. Yeah. I'm also going to go with the pass catcher. I'm going to go with the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, who people say is too small, won't be able to play in the NFL. Who would be able to scheme things up so that Devontae Smith could get the most out of his ability? Well, it would be Sean Payton in New Orleans. You have Jameis Winston with that arm and Devontae Smith with his ability to get open and his speed down the field. Can you imagine 
Michael Thomas on one side, Devontae Smith on the other, and Jameis just winging it. And he, that's what he does He's, is he wings it, throwing it as far as he can down the field so that Devontae Smith can catch it. Devontae, in a scheme cooked up by Sean Payton, would be electrifying. So I want to see it. The Slim Reaper in New Orleans. That would be really fun. <laughs> okay, next, Randy, I'm going to Cincinnati, and I want to get Joe Burrow a weapon. I want to get Joe Burrow a weapon that he's comfortable with, a weapon that Joe Burrow knows how to use. And that's why I'm sending Jamar Chase mm. to Cincinnati. When Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase were at LSU, of course, they won a national championship together. Jamar Chase from Joe Burrow, that connection, 84 passes, 1,780 yards, 20 touchdowns. He averaged 21.2 yards per reception that season. Those two were electric together, and I would love to see that reunion at the NFL level. And you might see that reunion at the NFL level. And if it's not Jamar Chase for Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, it'll be the Oregon tackle, Panay Sewell, who I have going to a place where they already got their pass catcher. They need to protect their quarterback in Arizona. Panay Sewell blocking the blind side and protecting Kyler Murray, who's winging it around to Christian Kirk and uh, Hopkins. They are going to be great if they get an offensive tackle in that offense. So, my puppet strings now land in Glendale, Arizona, where I've got Panay Suell, the tackle from Oregon, going to the Arizona Cardinals. I read last night when I was doing some research on the Chargers that Justin Herbert has been lobbying for Panay Suell. He wants that protection. I can totally see that. I think a lot of quarterbacks around yeah. the league would be lobbying for that, but that would be fun. Okay, finally for me, Randy, I want another reunion. And since we are your home in St. Louis for Dolphins football, Randy and I both being Dolphins fans now, I want to get Tua a weapon too. If I'm giving Joe Burrow a weapon, we got to take care of our own as well. And why not have another Alabama reunion? Tua... And Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell's a guy that I think as soon as he hits the field can be an immediate starter that makes an impact for the Dolphins. He's fast. He's explosive. You know that he is such a threat when he's out there on the field. And even though he's small, don't overlook him. Same thing with Devontae Smith with the frame. Not concerned at all. I think he would be such a weapon for Tua. That would be great for our Dolphins. We would love to see that. We would love to see Waddell It, it makes Miami. sense. And I am, for my last one, Michelle, I am going to go with a Mizzou guy. And I'm going to reprise something that happened a long time ago as the Pittsburgh Steelers built the Steel Curtain with Andy Russell, uh, St. Louisan, and a Mizzou uh, linebacker. I've got Nick Bolton to the Steelers. They lost Bud Dupree in free agency. Devin Bush was hurt last year. Of course, he's an inside guy. But they need a pass rusher and a guy that just gets to the football. And in that defense that Mike Tomlin employs, Nick Bolton would be ideal. Six foot, 232 pounds, flies around the field. That would be a great pick for the Steelers. And I hope that Nick Bolton lands there and and wins and wins and wins. Do you think if you're a prospect and you're waiting around and you hear your name called and you realize you're going to Pittsburgh, how pumped you would be? I'm going to play for a steady organization, a great coach and Mike Tomlin. I have a chance to be good, a chance to have success. Mm -hmm. There has to be such a conflicting feeling for some guys where their dreams are coming true in real time, but they realize they're going to an organization that's going to be, it's going to be an uphill climb for them. going to Detroit. Yeah. Great. The Jets? Cool. Yeah. Sounds fun. When we when we were talking yesterday, I don't know, I think it might have been Corey Chavis that said to us, Trevor Lawrence is going to lose more in the first month playing football mm-hmm. in Jacksonville than he ever has in his entire life. 
Yeah, that happened to Grant Wistrom with the Rams, and it happened to Orlando with the Rams. Both of them. Grant, I think, lost two or three games in college. Yeah. And literally in the first month of his NFL season, had lost more than he had in his entire career. And there are guys that are going to be stuck in that spot. I wonder, by the way, speaking of Mizzou guys, I wonder what Drew Locke's future holds now with the Broncos going out and trading for Teddy Bridgewater. And by the way, they aren't completely out of the mix for drafting a quarterback either. Is there a team out there that still thinks Drew Locke can play, or is he a guy that I misread? I thought he was going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. I don't think that he's gotten enough time there, but it doesn't seem like Denver has any patience for him anymore. Denver also doesn't seem like a place that can develop a quarterback. They have been striking out on quarterbacks for the past few years. So I don't know if it's necessarily Drew Locke or if it's something that's going on in Denver, but it seemed like a good pick for them. Second round, 42nd pick. And I was with you. I thought that he had a lot of the characteristics of a college football player that could translate at the next level. And you know, he hasn't been awful, but he hasn't been great either. And I don't wonder if maybe if he went somewhere else, if he would have more success or maybe it's just him. So much of this is right place at the right time. Yep. Sam Bradford is a perfect example of a guy who was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But look at Tannehill, who was a bust basically for the Dolphins, goes to Tennessee and leads them to back-to-back playoffs. And he, he's got a running game and he's got talented receivers. All of a sudden, things look a lot different. There are as far as I'm concerned, multiple quarterbacks in the league that have a chance to go somewhere else and succeed. And I do think that Drew is one of those guys. He needs to land in the perfect situation. By the way, I don't think that Mitch Trubisky could be in a better situation than Buffalo playing for Brian Dable and being able to sit. He was rushed into action after playing one season at North Carolina to sit and watch Allen learn, relax, and see how things are done properly in the NFL. The greatest example of all time, Steve Young, who was in Tampa where it was just completely dysfunctional. He had no chance to win there. It was just a bad organization. So he gets traded to San Francisco, sits behind Montana for a little while, and becomes a Hall of Famer. That is a great example. I I also wonder, speaking of right place, right time, players, especially franchise quarterbacks, or guys that are pegged to be franchise quarterbacks that go to dysfunctional organizations that are picking it at that place in the draft because of they're not a good organization and they're not a good team. I wonder how many of those guys go into that situation and they could inevitably be a great quarterback, but the environment around them breaks them. And it's hard, even if you go to another organization to get back Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that you have lost being in a dysfunctional place for a long time. I think that's the biggest issue that quarterbacks face is it's, the battered quarterback syndrome, having yeah. a bad offensive line, and then being with an organization. Isn't Sam Darnold the, the guy now, kind of the poster boy for that as we look at what he'll do in Carolina? He's exactly who I was thinking about when I was talking because he was definitely not put in an environment in which he could succeed. There's just no way that he was going to make any any sort of uh, a good situation out of the cards that he was dealt. But I do wonder what that environment has done to him as a player. What has it done to him mentally? How is he going to be now that he's out of there? And I, I want—I hope that the habits that tend to happen when you're in a bad spot don't preclude him from having success el- elsewhere. And a guy like Sanchez, who had success there and then things fell apart, and you figure, okay, well, maybe he can go somewhere where people have seen how to utilize him and win and get to championship games. But 
he's broken by the time he gets there. Dwayne Haskins is another guy who is just Uh in complete dysfunction. I don't know how good he'll be, but he's a guy that now with Pittsburgh, you, you couldn't go from a less stable situation in Washington to a more stable situation in Pittsburgh. And Mm -hmm. if there is a franchise that can fix him, it'll be the Steelers. And by the way, I think there is fair and reasonable and legitimate concern about what's going to happen with Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, Urban Meyer was a great college coach, but we've seen great college coaches, Steve Spurrier, go to the NFL and be abject failures. And they don't really have a very good offensive line, so they're drafting and I know they have Cam Robinson, he's all right, but they don't have great protection for Trevor Lawrence, and he could get broken very quickly and very easily in Jacksonville. And it's so unfair to assume that he's going to be the savior, even though he he seems like the cleanest prospect that's come out of the NFL draft since Andrew Luck. Look Mm -hmm. at what happened to Andrew Luck. Yes, he immediately came in and elevated the Colts and elevated those around him, but look at what happened to his career without any protection. And I just think it's a little unfair to assume that Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to jump right into the deep end and make that team better and make everyone around him better. Sometimes, even if you're an amazing prospect, there's a calibration period. As we sit here right now, Michelle, I would argue that when the Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence, that he will be their only guy on offense that has a chance to be great. Wow. James Robinson was their rookie, the team's rookie of the year last year, Illinois State guy, but they don't have great receivers. They don't have a great tight end. As I mentioned, Cam Robinson is okay. Norwell's okay at left guard. The rest of their offensive line is not good. And I I do believe that if you look at the starting lineup right now for Jacksonville and you plug in Trevor Lawrence, the only guy you'd say, oh, he could wind up in a Pro Bowl one day. Trevor Lawrence would be the only one. (laughs) So they've got some issues that they need to solve. The NFL draft is tonight and tomorrow night. We have Blues Hockey tonight. Tomorrow night, we'll have rounds two and three for you here on 101 ESPN. And then Saturday, a lot of draft coverage as well from ESPN and on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we have The Fight for you with Carriker Smallman, 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight. And before we welcome in Randy's challenger today, Emily has alerted me to a text that we received on the text line that I would like to read. We got this earlier this morning. The text says, I've thought about fighting Randy on draft day for weeks. Football questions, I'll go Randy style, and I'd embarrass him. But after some thought, I just don't think it's fair. I'd bury him. It's like beating my four-year-old at Candyland. You won the game, but did you really win? It wasn't fair out of the gate. That text came from Jake, who's on the line with us. Jake, a lot of confidence in that text. Are you still standing by it? I got a lot of moxie. I got a lot of confidence. 
I appreciate that, Jake. So do you still stand by the fact that you want to take it Randy style, which means no options, one lifeline? 100%. Just to make it fair on Randy. Otherwise, I mean, it's a blowout. So. Wow. Okay. So you said you want to do this on draft day. Does that mean that you're super into the NFL draft? It is draft day. Draft day is one of the most wonderful days of the year, right up there at the Super Bowl. I'm smoking two racks of ribs. I'm making some gumbo. I've taken the day off work. It's an exciting time. Oh, my gosh. Jake, can we come over after the show? It sounds lit at your house. Michelle, you can come over anytime. (laughs) I walked right into that one. All right, Jake. Question number one for you, and good luck, because I, I have to let you know, we did read the text to Randy before he walked out of the room, so... Just let Make sure he know. brings his tissues with him. Good oh, deal. Oh, Jake, I love this. Okay, question number one for you. Three schools have had five players selected first overall. Two of them, Notre Dame and USC. What's the other team? Notre Dame, USC. Let's see. What? LSU, Burrow. And... Three schools that have had five players selected first overall. Two schools, Notre Dame, USC. What's the third? Not Syracuse. I'm I'm debating between LSU, Oklahoma. Maybe. No. Let's go. Let's go LSU. New York has held the most NFL drafts with 57. Which city has held the second most? Chicago, Philly. Let's see the options on this one. So you've got Chicago, Philadelphia, or Los Angeles. I had two of those already, guys. Come on, let's go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead, just do Chicago. All right, Jake. Which NFL draft had the most Hall of Famers? 1983. And in which round was Tom Brady drafted in the 2000 NFL draft? Sixth round, 199 overall. Nice, Jake. All right, checking our score. Randy, oh, <laughs> Randy, I Emily, can see you. Good questions today, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, Jake, how's your confidence level after you've taken the fight? Still so high? Still think Randy needs to bring his tissues to the fight? You know, we'll see. How about that? All right. Uh, I can feel it. I can feel it going down a few notches. Randy, uh, Jake is on the line. And as you know, Jake was very confident in his abilities. Yeah, he's going to ruin my weekend on Thursday, right? Yeah, he said he's going to ruin your weekend. Okay. I kind of hope I do, big dog. No lie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for it. Jake, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Always, man. Good luck. By the way, a text coming in from the 636. I've never rooted for Randy Harder. Hashtag ruin his day, Randy. <laughs> I don't want to ruin anybody's day. Jake, you got a lot of fans on the text line, too. People love the confidence. People are picking sides in this one. So I just want to let I you like know. It. Let's go. A lot Get the of... poll up, Emily. Get the poll up. Get... Emily, put on the poll. We'll steal from the Levitard show. Question number one, Randy. Yes. Three schools have had five players selected first overall. Mm-hmm. Two of them, Notre Dame and USC. What's the third? Notre Dame, USC, and let's see. First overall, let's think that we've had Stanford with a couple. Uh, let's think of the powers here. Texas? No. Um, okay. There's a problem here. Florida, Florida State, Florida State. Um, 
Auburn has had Kenneth Sims. South Carolina had Jadavian Clowney. Uh, I'm missing something here. Hold on here. Uh, you know what? Oklahoma. New York has held the most NFL drafts with 57. Which city has held the second most? Second most NFL drafts after New York. I didn't know they did it in multiple places, to be honest with you, until <laughs> the last couple of years. Uh, we did one in Chicago, and because the Bears were there, I'll go Chicago. Randy, which NFL draft had the most Hall of Famers? Uh, what year? What year? I'm going to just right off the top of my head. Oh, you know what? It's got to be 89 or 83. But because 89, you had Aikman 1, then you had Tony Mandrich, and then you had Dion, you had Barry, you had Derek Thomas. I'm just going to roll the dice on 89 here. And in which round was Tom Brady drafted in the in the 2000 NFL draft? It would be uh, number 199 overall in the sixth round. A lot of confidence coming into this fight. Did Jake pull it off? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. By the way, is it Philly? It is. It's I, I, Philly. Bert Bell was Philly. Philly was the Eagles owner. Yeah, so I, I should have gone Philly, yeah. That's okay. Jake, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, buddy. If you're going to come in... With that much confidence, you better beat Randy, but he takes home the crown. You got one correct, though, Jake. You got one right. Randy got two. Let's run, <laughs> Let's run through our answers. So three schools have had five players selected first overall, Notre Dame, USC, and Oklahoma. Do you want me to read the players? I pulled it up. Sure. Billy Sims, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, obviously three of them. Uh, Might have had. Oh, sorry. Hmm? Go ahead. Ram Bradford. Don't forget him. Yeah. I was going to say, that's an obvious one that we missed. And then who was the other? Leroy Selman. Selman, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There you go. New York has held the most NFL drafts with 57. The second most is in Philly with 15. The NFL draft that had the most Hall of Famers, Jake said 83, Randy said 89. The correct answer is 1964 with 11. Wow. Paul Paul Warfield, Charlie Taylor, Roger Staubach, Leroy Kelly, Mel Renfro, Paul Krause, Dave Wilcox, Bob Brown, Carl Eller, Bob Hayes, and Bill Parcells, all out of the 1964 draft. And Jake and Randy both got the final question correct. Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round, 199th overall in the 2000 NFL draft. Jake, even though you didn't win the fight, it still sounds like you have a great day on deck. So enjoy it. Will do. Hey, Randy, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So put a feather in your cap. Today you did it, bud. <laughs> Jake, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take care, guys. Happy draft day. Jake with us on 101 ESPN. How about that? He says to be the best, you have to beat the best. And I, and I, I love did, his so confidence. Now, now I feel like I'm the best. You know, Randy, it's such a it's such a pivot. It's such a zag because most people that come on to challenge you, they're nervous. Mm -hmm. They're reluctant to even put their name in the ring. And Jake comes in... <laughs> With all the confidence in the world. I admire the confidence. It's great. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Jeremy Rutherford going to talk some blues.
News Hockey here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Our Blues insider from The Athletic is Jeremy Rutherford, who's on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Hey, what's going on with the fight? I was just telling <laughs> Emily, I've been listening to it for like 10 or 15 years, and it used to be this uh, playful thing. I didn't know there were this many tacky people in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. they. Th- there are people that have a, an immense amount of confidence. <laughs> I think it's a good idea, having done it for 10 years, to go in humble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like his line at the end, though. That was good. <laughs> that was fun. That was good. Hey, JR, over the last couple of weeks, you wrote a piece. I've talked about it. We've wondered about the Blues players' desire to even make the playoffs. I guess these last three games, something has woken up within them. Yeah, they've definitely shown it, and you have to give them a lot of credit because there's been a lot of questions about this team. And In fact, we did have an article the other day saying, hey, do any of these teams, the Blues, the Sharks, the Kings, the Coyotes, do they even want it? And out of those teams, the Blues have definitely shown that they want it. I mean, three straight wins, but not just that, two over Colorado, one over Minnesota, and then last night to come back in the third period after having just a disastrous second period. Uh, This team looks hungry. You know, can they keep it up? That's a big question. Sometimes you get fooled by this team a little bit, but they're playing really well right now. JR, when I look back on this season, one of the defining moments for me will be Saturday's game where Ryan O'Reilly just refused to let his team lose. He comes out with a hat trick for a huge and very crucial win over Colorado. And you have an amazing piece up at The Athletic that talks about the passion that we all love. We love seeing that passion and that fire out of Ryan O'Reilly. But sometimes it weighs heavy on him. Can you explain that to us for people that might not have, have read the article? It, it does, and i got to give a, an assist, a huge assist here to, uh, to Ryan O'Reilly because a couple of weeks ago kind of came up with this idea with my editor about writing about Ryan O'Reilly and just how he's worn the sea this year, his leadership, what people think about him, and, and how he can balance the fact that he's so hard on himself, but he has to be able to move forward each day. And so that was kind of the concept of the story. And so to give uh, Ryan O'Reilly the assist, I don't know that that story was going to run a couple days ago, <laughs> but when he willed that team uh, Saturday uh, against uh, Colorado to a win, it was just the perfect timing to tell people what Ryan O'Reilly goes through behind the scenes in terms of taking losses hard, talking to his dad, going through how can I produce quality moving forward, how can I talk to guys and get the most out of them without placing blame on them during these Zoom calls. And so I think he handles it very well. We tried to illustrate that in the article. And uh, thanks uh, to Ryan for making uh, the timing of that story. Jeremy, let's talk a little bit about where this team is now and where they're going forward. How about Mike Hoffman since he got the two-game benching? Unbelievable. You know, I was just thinking, it's almost like the intentional walk in baseball. You say, okay, we're going to walk this guy. You put him on first base. It's almost like lately, uh, okay, the Blues are going on the power play. Okay, you got Mike Hoffman. That's a goal. Okay, well, now it's two to nothing. It's just everything he touches lately on the power play is going in the net. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, why hasn't Mike Hoffman been on the first power play? I looked it up last night. He's got about 70 minutes on the power play this year. It's 198th in the league in terms of ice time on the power play this year. And his six goals now, after getting two more last night, he's 28th, tied for 28th in the league in power play goals. It's pretty amazing. 
the question was asked again of Craig Bruby last night, just how come you couldn't fit him on that power play sooner? And, you know, I understand where he's coming from. They said that they had some guys on that number one unit that were really good last year, third in the league, and they didn't want to take them off. Uh, you know, I guess you can debate it all you want. Perhaps there should have been some sort of adjustment with how good Mike Hoffman is on the power play. Uh, but here we are, the stretch run. They've got him up there, and, and he's doing really well. Can you imagine a scenario in which the Blues would want to bring him back despite his success? I can't, and I don't know that Mike would come back. I think it's been uh, kind of a tough uh, situation for him. I think he's putting on a good face. I think he's playing hard. You know, I, I know he wants to win. He, he, he's a winner. And so that's where kind of the root of his uh, having success here is lately. But let's not forget that uh, – you know, he's going to be a free agent and he's going to be playing for a contract the rest of the season for next year. So he's really opening some eyes with his play. But I think between uh, all the questions about it being the right fit, you know, let's face it, he, he got bumped up to the third line last night from the fourth line. That's not what Mike Hoffman wants to be doing. And, and I think he's going to find another home next year. JR, Clem Costin wins the cup in the KHL. What's the latest on his status with the Blues? Yeah, talked to Tim Taylor, the Blues uh, Director of Player Development, last night for a, a long time, and uh, he said that he's going to talk to Clem today, and he, he thinks that they could perhaps get him on a flight this uh, weekend and get him to North America, and then the question becomes uh, the quarantine, and, and there's a little bit of precedent. Uh, about 10 days is probably what a European player has to do in terms of uh, sitting out before he uh, plays for the NHL team, uh, but I did talk to Doug Armstrong last night via text, and he said there's really no a definitive time timeline they're still waiting to figure out more about that so they're hoping to find out something uh, over the weekend but you know will fatigue be an issue i asked uh, tim taylor that after clem costin's been on the ice in september playing with his khl team and he said listen this kid really wants to prove that he can play in the nhl his adrenaline's going to be pumping as he joins this blues team and jr michelle and i talked about this earlier he is not exempt from the expansion draft correct Yes, he, he is exempt. They will not oh, have okay. to protect him. Yeah, they won't have to protect him as one of their seven forwards. Okay, good deal. What about the injury status right now of Colton Pareko? Talked to Craig Bruby last night after the Zoom and said, would he be available tonight against Minnesota? And he said that, yeah, there's a chance. Now, he said that yesterday. He said that after the morning skate, and he said it'll be uh, dependent on what happens the rest of the afternoon, how he feels. Obviously, he didn't play, so you know, wasn't uh, ready to go for the game last night. And perhaps, you know, I've seen this a lot. You have back-to-back games. You know, why push it? Sit out one more game, let him play tonight. Then you get the day off tomorrow uh, before you play on Saturday. So perhaps that's the route that they chose. But nonetheless, he wasn't ready, and there is a chance he could go tonight. Jr., do you expect Jordan Bennington to go tonight? That's a good question. You know, um, you know, I assume yesterday that it was going to be Bennington, but you always have to ask, right? So we had a Zoom call with Craig Bruby after the morning skate yesterday. So we're talking, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. And, and I said, are you willing to tell us who your goalie is? And he almost laughed. And he said, uh, he said, I think you guys can guess. And <laughs> so you figured it would be Jordan Bennington. You know, they almost have to ride Bennington the rest of the way. However, now you have that three-point lead. With on Arizona with three games in hand, I do think they're going to have to find a spot start somewhere in there for really use. So they're going to be have, they're going to have to be careful where they pick it. You know, I just don't know that you can have Jordan Bennington play this rugged, rugged schedule down the stretch. A lot of people are going to say, "Oh, get get out of here! You got to play the number one guy the rest of the way." I, you know, I get it, but uh, what do they got? Nine games left in the last fifteen days. This is a lot, a lot of hockey. JR, I did the math this morning. Arizona has two games with Vegas, two games with the Kings, two games with San Jose. If they play 500 and get 
to 53 points. The Blues would need four points in their remaining nine games to eclipse Arizona and make the playoffs. So I think you can find a spot for Huso. Maybe even do it on, uh, what would it be, Saturday? uh, Or one of the games against Anaheim here. But the fact that I don't think Arizona is going to beat Vegas at all. So they would have to win three or four from the Kings and San Jose, Arizona would. And so the Blues, I think they can come up with four points, even if they play a game with Ville Husso between the pipes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's kind of changed in the last 48 hours. When you're talking about trying to win a second game against uh, Colorado, are you going to be able to do that? Wow, you, you did. Uh, are you going to be able to come back from a 3-1 deficit to uh, Minnesota? Holy smokes. Uh, you know, they did. So now they've won three in a row. And then you have Arizona that just can't put it together unless they play the Blues, it looks like. So, uh, you know, they, they get knocked off by San Jose last night. And, and you're right. So you look at the remaining schedule, Arizona not nearly as many games uh, as the Blues left on there. I do think there's a chance, you know, it's just when do you do it? Do you do it uh, tonight when things are really rolling with your club? Or do you let Bennington back in there and maybe you get another win and, and then Huso uh, gets a start on Saturday? We'll see. But I do think there's a little more flexibility, like you're saying, Randy. Finally, Jr. for the last four or five years, how many times have we said Thomas and Cairo, Thomas and Cairo? Those guys are, are joined at the hips because they were the two top prospects drafted in, in different years. But now they're playing on a line together. And I've always been intrigued by it. And they were very impressive last night. They really were, and that's what you're going to need, the secondary scoring. First, the Blues needed to get their top guys going, and they did. And then now, now to watch a game last night, you get the two power play goals uh, from Hoffman and then uh, Kyra and Thomas. What a heads-up pass by uh, Robbie Thomas, and then uh, the goal by uh, Jordan Cairo. And he joked last night that he was doing the Kucherov, which is obviously kind of he meant to do that, but I <laughs> think he lost the handle there. But nonetheless, it goes in. And, and just to tie all this together, guys, I already got some tweets saying, how about Thomas? Cairo and Clem Costin. <laughs> I'm I'm willing to try it. Costin isn't. Uh, I guess none of those guys are locked in on one side or the other. Some guys can only play one side. Costin can play left or right. Right. Yeah, I think he's bounced back and forth. Uh, but last night, Craig Ruby did a great job with the adjustment. Moved uh, Hoffman up to that line with Cairo and Thomas. Yeah. And they look pretty good. So I would think there's a chance you'd see that group stay together and. And uh, let's not forget, Doug Armstrong said a few weeks ago when there was conversation about Clint Costin eventually coming over, he said, let's not think he's going to be Brendan Shanahan his first shift. Oh, come on. I want Brendan <laughs> Shanahan yeah, his first shift. me too. What? <laughs> JR, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Check out Jeremy Rutherford's work, The Ad Athletic, and, of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at J.P. Rutherford. Coming up, Greg Amsinger had an interesting point about how the three-batter rule can be solved. We'll talk about that, and maybe it shouldn't be in the hands of managers in some situations. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Randy Carricker, Michelle Smallman, and it is great to have you with us. The Cardinals with a day game today, by the way. That's why Danny Mack is not with us. They're playing at 12-15, and hopefully, well, I don't think there's any problem with getting today's game into you. Right now, it looks overcast, but not a drop of precipitation. And Danny Mack will be back with us tomorrow morning, as he usually is on Thursday and Friday. He'll be with us from 7 to 10, and he will have his show from 10 to 11 today. So we're looking forward to that. 
He's all over the place, Danny Mac. Danny Mac was on the call last night. Cards and Phillies. Redbirds wound up losing 5-3. And at the start of the sixth inning, a scary situation unfolded. Finished that rookie year with a 270. Oh, man. Oh, man. It hit him right in the face. It deflected into his face. I don't know if it hit anything. Fight that it hit right in the face directly. Some jawing going from the uh, Phillies dugout. Seriously, Philly, three-three game, sixth inning. You think that somebody's trying to hit your guy? I, I didn't take it that way. Consuming it, I didn't think the intent was there. I can understand how, in the heat of competition, you might think that initially if you're on the opposing team. But then you'd think after this, it happened with the second batter, you would realize that he just didn't have his stuff. Yeah. Right, and he did hit D.D. Gregorius. Emily, can we just hear the beginning of that again? Because it didn't hit the helmet. Keep in mind that this didn't hit the helmet, and listen to impact here. Finished that rookie year with a 270. Oh, man. Oh, man, it hit him right in the face. How loud was that? That just made me cringe. Yeah. That's one of those those things that you watch the replay and then you never want to see it again. And I thought for sure he was going to sustain some sort of serious injury. And then when I saw the video of him pop up after the game, assuring everybody that he was fine, you could see his face. It didn't even look really bruised. No. And those might develop later. But to say that the scans showed that everything was fine, I thought for sure his nose was broken, that there would be some sort of facial fractures that he was dealing with. But it's Seems like Bryce Harper is thankfully okay. Henesis Cabrera hit him with his first pitch. With Cabrera's second pitch, he hit D.D. Gregorius. If you're Mike Schilt, you're thinking, man, I want to get this guy out of the game. But you can't because you've got the three batter minimum. And that obviously is a big part of the discussion today. And I don't even know if the Cardinals had anybody warming up. Cabrera was starting the inning. I don't know if they had anybody available to come in I think after two pitches anyway. Webb just had to jump up in that moment. Right. That's that's the way it worked. Now, we talked to Greg Amzinger this morning and asked him, is there anybody in your realm at MLB Network that likes the three batter minimum? And Greg says that's really not the problem. I, I think the idea uh, is a step in the right direction to keep the game moving. We were seeing way too many uh, pitching changes um, and managers really got into the matchup game. So it was getting out of hand. And especially in the month of September when the games mattered uh, into the postseason. But what happened last night, to me, I don't think it's it's the three batter minimum. I, I, I know that's what everyone's talking about. Home plate umpire, the, the crew chief, you got to get him out of the game. You, you just eject a guy. And it's not because you think he's a bad person. If he is detrimental to the safety of the other team, get him out of the game. That makes all the sense in the world. That would have saved a lot of the consternation from last night. And then McCutcheon comes up and gets a base hit to drive in a run. And that wound up being the winning run in the game. But the point here, Michelle, as far as I'm concerned, and I think Greg makes a good point, is sometimes you have to take it out of the manager's hands, mm-hmm. especially with the three batter minimum. We, we've asked, what if a pitcher doesn't have it? What if he hits the first two guys? The umpire is allowed to throw a guy out and preserve the safety of the other players that are hitting against him. Yeah, and that's clearly a situation where that could have been enacted. And I understand the three-batter minimum rule. I understand baseball's concerns about the pace of play. They're concerned about keeping the game moving. But in a situation like last night, you 
have on pretty clear display why that can be problematic. Mike Schilt's hands are tied. Clearly, Cabrera didn't have it. Clearly, he was throwing all over the place. And Mike Schilt probably thought of all nights when Yachty or Molina's not out there because Yachty has a, a way of talking to pitchers mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. and relaxing them, calming them down. Because after that happens with Bryce Harper, it's hard, I think, for a pitcher to regain that composure. You're prob- your mind's probably going a million miles a minute. And um, it just... Yeah, if if Mike Schultz's hands were tied, the umpire then should have stepped in. But I just think in general, baseball's trying all of these little tricks to keep the game moving because they're concerned about pace of play. Unless you shorten the games, how much time is ever really going to be shaved off a baseball game? It is not going to be significant. It never is, but they won't shorten the games because that's more revenue for everyone involved. So when the the thing that you're searching has a clear answer, but it it conflicts directly with your agenda, let's not try all of these little things when it's not going to work. I want to touch on pace of play because there's an interesting point that John Hewlett made to me, but I do want to give Cabrera some credit. After the McCutcheon hit, he set down the next three hitters, so he was able to bounce back from everything that happened, and I'm sure he had Bryce Harper on his mind, and he gets a real muto to foul out, nap to strike out, and then Matone to, to line out. You man, who does the PA over at Bush Stadium, made an interesting point. He said, when a pitcher or a catcher makes the final out, the catcher has to go back into the dugout and put his gear on. The pitcher goes out and they, goes back into the dugout, and they always give him, him some time to rest. There was a game a couple of weeks ago where that happened to the opposition four times, and they actually give that pitcher or catcher an extra minute to come out if he makes the last out, to come out onto the field. It happened four times with the opposition and two times with the Cardinals. You give them an extra minute. So that pitcher is out there a minute later, starts warming up a minute later. The catcher takes some time, 30 seconds. And teams don't want to send a coach out generally to warm a pitcher up. That's five or six minutes right there per game. If you would just set it up so that in Little League, pitcher makes it out. He goes, puts his bat down, gets his glove. He goes out and starts warming up. That pitcher doesn't have to have an extra minute to go in and rest in the dugout after running down the first baseline. He's in great shape. If you want to shave five minutes off the games, you can start there. Sure. And But that circles back to my initial point. Is, is five minutes really the difference that's upsetting baseball fans about how long the games it, are? It's not fans. It's the TV show. And it's fitting the game into a three-hour window. And if it goes 3.05 for some reason, because all the games are on all sports stations anyway, right? It's not like it's going to make any difference to Bally Sports Midwest if the game ends at 6.45 games, 7, 8, 9.45. If it ends at 9.45 or 9.50, what difference does it make? No. It doesn't make any difference to me or you or it would seem them. No, five minutes, no no worries at all. No. And I, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken right now, they're about seven minutes over where they want to be. If the umpires would just enforce the rules, how many people have we say heard say, hey, just keep the batter in the batter's box? Don't the, There was a rule when they implemented all the, the big drastic rule changes with the clocks that batters could not take both feet out of the batter's box. It happens all the time. They, they step out. There's supposed to be a clock for the, p- the pitcher to warm up. It's never adhered to. So you implement all these rules, but then you don't enforce them. That's the problem. Right. So uh, baseball can come up with some... Baseball should be able to come up with a better plan. I'm disappointed by Rob Manfred. I thought he would be better than this. 
should be in the operative word there. Yeah. They should be able right. to come up with a better plan. If, if you have a better commissioner and that commissioner has a better relationship with the players, yes, then the players are more amenable to doing what the the commissioner of the sport would want. Whatever Rob Manfred says right now, players are going to say, hell with you. Right. That relationship is so far fractured. Right. It's baseball's got a lot of issues, but we still love it. We do. I just think the players right now, they want to taunt Manfred. If he says something, even to make the game better, they're saying, well, you said it, so we aren't going to do it. Yeah, they're not trying to give him any W's or trying to make him look good. Exactly. That's today's big thing. So the three batter minimum is going to be here for the rest of this year, at least. And then maybe the new CBA will change things. That's today's big thing. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we were just talking last segment about things that baseball's trying to do to speed up the game, to make make it better, right? But then there's moments like last night where we're reminded why we love baseball and how fun baseball can be in a variety of ways. So things weren't going so well for the Cubs last night in their game versus the Braves. So David Ross, their manager, decided to try something new, something a little wild in the seventh inning. Anthony Rizzo went to the mound. That's right. Anthony Rizzo pitched last night. And Freddie Freeman comes up to bat in that game so far in this moment Freddie Freeman four for four the reigning National League MVP gets ahead in the count Rizzo falls down in the count two to nothing and then this happens right here like you gotta just drop the knuckleball here you just gotta yeah look at that he's shaking like I don't want Oh my. He dropped the, the breaking ball. That's great. So after falling down two to, two to nothing in the count, Rizzo strikes out Freddie Freeman. He struck him out on three consecutive pitches. Unbelievable. And they both got a huge kick out of it. Rizzo only threw two thirds of an inning. But that was fun to see the, the left handed throwing Rizzo pitching to his good friend, Freddie Freeman. And. Uh, they both had a great time with it, and baseball needs to have more fun moments like that. That they, was cool. They do. It was so fun to watch. I was scrolling through my timeline last night, and I went, what? Is that Anthony Rizzo pitching to Freddie Freeman? Anyway, Freddie Freeman talked about wearing that, as you mentioned, to his friend, striking him out. Yeah. You know, it, oh, gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, that's, that's, that's going to be over me forever. It's <laughs> I had a, such a good night going, too, and I, have to, I couldn't stop laughing as I'm going up to the plate. It's just it's a recipe for disaster when you face position players, especially one of your friends, too. So, uh, But it, that's one strike I'm okay with, I guess. You know what's amazing? Freddie Freeman last night. He went four for five. He had a home run, a double. The Braves won 10 to nothing. It was their third straight win. And everyone's going to remember the moment that Rizzo struck out Freddie Freeman. So he was right. He was having an awesome, a perfect game basically up until that moment. And by the way, I don't know about you, Michelle, but I I feel really bad for the Cubs this morning. Losing 10 to nothing like that. It was fun. It's good that everybody will remember Rizzo pitching. I'm sure, Randy, that you just feel terrible about the Cubs struggling. And it wasn't Rizzo. They they got Matt Duffy some action. They got Eric Sogard some action. So position players pitching galore for the Cubbies last night. Fun. But when you're down 10-0, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Have a little fun. Yeah, they did.
You're killing me, Smalls. Some news out of college football, Randy. LSU announced that they are going away. They're doing away, rather, with attendance limitation and their mask mandate for all outdoor athletic activities. They announced this yesterday. That means it's 100% capacity. It's affected immediately. They have their first outdoor event coming up Friday. The LSU baseball team is hosting Arkansas for the beginning of a three-game series. So that means this fall, LSU Tigers down in Baton Rouge, 100% capacity in the stadium, no masks. Not surprised. Just wondering how Louisiana beat Mississippi to the punch. They wanted to be first? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but I, I, I guess my biggest surprise is that they didn't do it last year. You know, yeah. That they didn't fill up the stadium. Remember the Florida coach, Dan Mullen, wanted to fill up the swamp during last fall. And with people being vaccinated now yep. and people being confident and wanting to get out, will the Atlanta Braves announce that they're going full capacity? I would think that probably by the time college football starts, that every outdoor venue in America, at the very least, will be full capacity. That's exactly what I was thinking. LSU making this announcement made me wonder how many schools are right behind them. Um, I would be surprised if we get to the fall and any real major college football program doesn't allow 100% capacity. Yeah, because now, if you're above 16, if you're a college student, you can go to the Dome and you can get without even having any insurance and without having an appointment, you can get vaccinated. So you can protect yourself a lot and protect others around you if you do that. You're killing me, Smalls. Some news on draft day, Randy. The Carolina Panthers have traded quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos for a sixth-round pick in this in this 2021 draft. They're going to pay $7 million to Bridgewater. The Broncos are going to pay him $3 million. And this does not take the Broncos. Adam Schefter said this. This does not take the Broncos, who have the number nine overall pick, out of the, the quarterback market in this draft. If I were trading for Teddy Bridgewater, I would never trade for him to be my starter. He did have that nice undefeated run a couple of years ago with New Orleans as their backup. And before he got hurt with Minnesota, he had a chance. But Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be a difference maker. Teddy Bridgewater is not going to get you to a Super Bowl. So if you're making that move for him to be your backup and you're going to draft somebody, maybe he's a placeholder for the next guy. That's fine. But don't. If you're a smart football team, don't trade for Teddy Bridgewater and expect him to be a difference maker for you and to get your team to the playoffs. What does this mean for Drew Locke? Where do you think he lands? Do you think he he stays in Denver? Do you think he moves elsewhere? Where do you think would be a good landing spot for him? I think that Drew probably winds up. I, I don't know how much interest there's going to be in Drew among other teams as far as making a trade. I think a lot of it is going to depend on what happens with New England. Would he be a better option than Jared Stidham as a backup for Cam Newton? And maybe a guy that Bill Belichick develops for the future. I think Drew is going to have to go to a place where he's going to back up a veteran quarterback and try to get fixed and be developed, kind of like Sam Darnold should be. If I'm his agent, I am telling any team that will listen, look at what Denver has done with quarterbacks over the past few years. This is not a Drew Locke issue. This is a Denver issue. That's the way I would spin it. But life comes at you fast, Randy. 2019, he's drafted in the second round. Mm -hmm. You think he's the future in Denver? And now here we are in 2021. And not only are the Broncos acquiring Teddy Bridgewater, it looks like they're still trying to get yet another quarterback. (laughs) It's amazing how, and John Elway is apparently not in charge of football ops there anymore but it's amazing 
how futile they've been in trying to get a quarterback there. I'm just trying to find that that guy. Uh, maybe you look at a, a team like the Colts with Carson Wentz as their starter and Jacob Eason as their backup. Now Drew Locke, I think, is a better prospect than Jacob Eason. I can find a couple of places where I think Locke is better than the backup, especially because of his starting experience, better than the backup that they have. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I'm surprised we haven't talked about this story yet on the show, but Kevin Porter Jr. and Sterling Brown of the Rockets, they were in the news recently when both of them went out to a strip club and Sterling Brown was attacked. He was hit in the back of his head with a bottle. There were multiple people. There was an issue over a van. There was blood everywhere. He was injured. Well, anyway, the NBA announced that they have fined Kevin Porter Jr. 50 grand for violating the league's health and safety protocols for going to a strip club. So he's out. So I guess it's the initial move because he's not being fined 50 grand for helping save his teammate. No. They have rules in place, and I guess that makes sense. And I'm sure that he's 50 grand is no big deal for him. But think of you spend probably not an insignificant amount of money if you're going to the strip club. Bottle service. Your bottle service. Yeah. Yeah, you're giving out dollars. And now 50 grand, too. That's an expensive night out. Expensive evening. That's an expensive night out. More expensive for Sterling actually probably because medical bills yeah yeah he's got that to deal with i hope they had a good time me too and i'm glad sterling's okay yeah he's had a rough go poor guy yeah you're killing me smalls it's good th- bad things happen to athletes outside strip clubs lately tommy fam sterling brown stop stabbing tommy fam <laughs> best tweet best tweet okay randy finally we talked about this we even had one of our fellow stan Kroenke haters from england on the show mm-hmm. we knew that arsenal fans had protests they wanted stan Kroenke out they <laughs> came out in large numbers to make it known that stan Kroenke is not a great own- owner and after the mess with the super league they wanted to take some action well i was supposed to get to this yesterday and i didn't stan Kroenke and his son came out. They reaffirmed that they will not be selling any stake in Arsenal. Here is the statement. In recent days, we have noted media speculation regarding a potential takeover bid for Arsenal Football Club. We remain 100% committed to Arsenal and are not selling with the asterisks outside of that. Any stake any stake in the club. We have not received any offer and we will not entertain any offer. Our ambition for Arsenal remains to compete to win the biggest trophies in the game and our focus remains on improving our competitiveness on the pitch to achieve this. Signed, Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke, Sports and Entertainment. Can you give me that last sentence again, please? I'd be happy to. Our ambition for Arsenal remains to compete to win the biggest trophies in the game, and our focus remains on improving our competitiveness on the pitch to achieve this. Okay, this is interesting because it was not too long ago that Stan Kroenke spoke at the MIT Sloan Sports Conference. This actually happened five years ago. And Stan Kroenke, whose team has diminished since then, his Arsenal team, actually told the conference for me being an individual owner i have to spend some have to have some sort of reality involved if you want to win championships then you would never get involved i think the best owners in sports are the guys that sort of watch both sides a bit if you don't have a good business then you can't really afford to go out and get the best players he essentially said that he didn't get in this to win trophies and now because people are coming after him he says yeah we want to win more trophies than anybody uh 
Didn't we hear from our guest over in England, Arsenal supporter, whose name is escaping me right now. I need to look it up really quickly. Emily, do you remember it? Toby Parks. Toby Parks. Thank you, Emily. Toby Parks told us that when Stan went to the first Arsenal game, he didn't even know which team was his. Right. How can you truly be competitive and be 100% committed to the team if you don't even know which one is yours? It's ridiculous. I I feel bad for them. (laughs) I feel feel badly for them, too. Yeah. Because it's not going to get any better. It's just not. No. If you want to win trophies, then you would never get involved. But yet the statement says, Randy, that they're 100% committed to winning the biggest trophies in the game. Not buying it. I'm not buying it either. We remain 100% committed to Arsenal. Really? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, to making money from Arsenal. How long do you think his nose grew when he wrote that statement or when he dictated it to someone else who inevitably wrote it? Substantially. Yeah. No doubt about it. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, former major leaguer Trevor Plouffe is now on social media. He's a member of the John Boy Network, and we'll talk to him about what's going on in MLB, including Henesis Cabrera hitting Bryce Harper last night. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN. And a couple of weeks ago, we had John Boy on. He does such great work on social media and is making baseball more fun. And Trevor Plouffe, the former longtime major leaguer, played third base for the Twins for many years, is part of the John Boy Network. And Trevor is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Trevor, good morning. This is Randy Carricker. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Randy. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk some baseball. Well, we want to start with this because uh, in Philly, they're thinking the last night, Henesis Cabrera, start of the sixth inning, was throwing at Bryce Harper in a 3-3 game. Can you imagine a scenario in which in the sixth inning of a 3-3 game, a pitcher is intentionally going to hit somebody? I can imagine some scenarios. Last <laughs> night wasn't one of them. <laughs> um, you know, like that's two pitches in a row. You could tell that, you know, he wasn't feeling good on the mound and whether that's, you know, he kind of was um, hinting at his fingers there when he was, when he was on the mound. Um, but it looked like nerves to me. Once you, once you go up and in uh, like he did against Harper, you know, that next pitch is always a question mark to be honest with you. And we saw it hit DD. Uh, but I didn't see any intent there. You know, speaking of John Boy, he did a breakdown on it. I don't, I don't think anybody that watches the game and can look at it objectively sees any intent. So I hope there's no carryover. I don't think there will be. Uh, but just kind of like you know, uh, two unfortunate pitches. And Trevor, then Cardinals manager Mike Schultz in a tough spot because of the three batter minimum. He can't go and remove Henesis Cabrera yeah. out of the game. And I'm just curious, what do you think of that rule? You know, I didn't even think about that. He had to stay in the game, pitch to catch. That's right. Um, I don't know. There's a bunch of these different rules now supposed to, um, you know, speed the game up so you can't go through relievers. But I think in certain scenarios, it just kind of makes sense. Like last night, um, I don't know if there needs to be some sort of amendment to that rule. But uh, usually I'm in favor of it. Uh, but last night seemed like a common sense scenario where like maybe he probably shouldn't have been in the game. You are a great follow, Trevor, on Twitter, and people can just follow you at Trevor Plouffe. Right now, your handle is Coach Trev. Gary Sanchez is hitting coach. Congratulations on that, <laughs> by the way. 
<laughs> but I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great uh, piece up on the speed of Byron Buxton. Greg Amzinger joins us every uh, every week, and he was on this morning. He says that Byron Buxton. He said, "All due respect to Mike Trout, he he thinks Byron Buxton is the most talented player in baseball right now." What do you think? Oh man, I mean, I think we got a lot of talented ball players, you know. I, but you know, being up close to Byron for you know a number of years, I got to see it firsthand. And the things that he can do when he truly believes in himself, and 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 the organization lets him kind of be himself, this is what happens, you know. Like he has all the tools. That's why he was, I think, he was the second overall pick in the draft. Um, but the power's there. The speed has always been there, and he's just fun to watch. And if you're talking about the most talented player in the big leagues, I mean, you got him. You got Shohei, you got Acuna. I mean, there's we have some real deal athletes in the game today. I think we're just like so lucky to see all of them and you know all at one time. Byron three seven down the line yesterday. What was your best oh. down the first base line? <laughs> Dude, I don't. I think when I ran like anything under a four two, I was I was humming. I didn't get that too often. Three seven from the right-handed side is is very very fast. Unreal, obviously. Yeah, it's crazy. Trevor, speaking of talented players, we have one here in St. Louis now, and Nolan Arenado. And anytime we talk to a third baseman, we want to talk about Arenado. I don't know if you saw it, but that play he made, I believe, Tuesday night over the shoulder, just a ridiculous catch. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. it, but when you see him make plays like that, break it down for me. You know, he's just one of those guys that does everything right, and. I don't want to say it looks easy for him because, you know, he's still, I don't know. Like when I watch him play, there's some guys like when you watch Byron, for instance, in the outfield, run balls down, it looks easy for him. When I see Nolan make plays like that, I still get like my heart rate still goes up. I guess maybe because I understand how difficult some of these plays are, but he always finds himself in the right position. His footwork is so good. He can throw from all the different angles. I mean, he's the absolute total package. Uh, when it comes to a third baseman. And I got to spend some time with Matt Chapman, who I think is, you know, maybe right on par defensively with Arenado and watching them, like go back and forth. Those are my two uh, favorite third basemen to watch in the game. And Arenado, when he got traded over to you guys, the first thing I said was, well, the Cardinals, they got that division locked up. And he still hasn't hit his stride offensively. He's going to be no. great. You know what's interesting about him? And you talk about the natural ability. I always find, Trevor, and you've been around the best of the best, the guys that can combine just natural athletic ability, instinctive baseball. Some guys are athletes. Some guys are players. And then you add the hard work, and you get something special. I get the sense that Nolan is one of those guys who's, who's a born player who's putting tons of work into it, too. Yeah, you just illustrated what I was trying to say earlier when I was talking about how, you know, he does make it look easy, but he puts the work in. That's exactly what I was trying to say. You did a much better job of it. That's You're right. That's what separates the guys because when you get to the big leagues, everyone's very talented. And a lot of times nowadays, and I don't want to sound like too much of a boomer here, but uh, a lot of the young guys come up and they're they're excited to be there and they think that's it. But in reality, you know, when you come up, that's just where it's beginning. And I think Nolan's always had that. Then he comes over to uh, St. Louis where I feel like that's just ingrained in the baseball fabric there um, with Molina. And I know how, you know, Jack Flaherty is a really good friend of mine. I know how hard he works. I think that's just the culture there. And so he's going to feed up. He might get even better playing in St. Louis. Trevor, we wanted to ask you about what you're doing now with John Boy. How has it been for you transitioning to the media side of things? It's been so fun. You know, I, after I was done playing, I searched for a few different um, – 
I searched through a few different industries and, and decided uh, after going through like a hemp oil thing and a real estate thing that those weren't really for me. So I wanted to do something in baseball. And honestly, I feel like I got lucky. I, I met up with uh, John Boy and talking Jake one night and we hit it off. And uh, that was at the end of 2019. And we just kind of been going. It's been so much fun. They're work, speaking of work ethic, those guys work like crazy. So they really inspired me on the content creation side to put in the work and you know, I think what we're growing over there is, is really special, and I'm just really excited to to be a part of it. And baseball, if you pay attention and you know what's going on, it, it can be so much fun. And that's the way you guys are making it with all of the social media presences that you have. You're attracting a younger audience. You said, I don't want to sound like a boomer. I, I, I look at your Twitter. I look at the John Boy stuff. It looks to me like it appeals to everybody who could possibly like baseball. Yeah, we don't want to limit it. We don't want to be just for kids. We want to be for everybody because we think the game is for everybody. You know, one of the things we always say is, you know, MLB shouldn't abandon the core fan base that's already there. Yes, go out and try to get new fans, but don't abandon the fans that you already have. So we try to make something for everybody. And uh, we realize that the game, there's so many different ways to look at the game. So, you know, whether you're in it for the highlights or you're in it for the strategy, baseball is one of those sports that, that can give it all. Trevor, great stuff. Thanks so much for taking some time with us, and hopefully as the season unfolds, we can talk again. Yeah, I'd love to come back on. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Trevor. Trevor Plouffe, the John Boy Network, and you can follow him on Twitter at Trevor Plouffe. That's P-L-O-U-F-F-E. And baseball needs a media entity like John Boy. You're right. That attracts the younger viewer. They're always trying to do things to advance the entertainment side of baseball. And having something like John Boy where kids and young people can have it right at their fingertips on their phone in a digestible way and in an entertaining way with guys like Trevor Plouffe on board. Bingo. There you go. And if you go to John Boy Media, they had a great piece the other day with Lucas Giolito, Max Fried, and Jack Flaherty with Chris Rose. And Flaherty, before the season started, remember he said, I don't even follow MLB. I don't like their videos. So what they're doing isn't clearly appealing to him, but what John Boy Media is doing is appealing to Jack Flaherty and that generation. So it's a great place to go. It is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, what are our most intriguing baseball franchises? Michelle, Emily, and I are going to have a baseball franchise draft We're going to pick our franchises for whatever reasons we want next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is draft day in a baseball town. So here's what we're doing today with... Michelle and Emily and Randy, we are going to draft our best baseball franchises. We had a coin flip during the course of the break, and I won, and I have earned the first pick in this snake-type draft. Yes. And we can all pick for our own reasons, and I am going with my franchises based on their winning history, fan support, especially national fan support, Mm -hmm. attractiveness to players and free agents, and, of course, what they've done over the last 10 years. Some teams have really good histories, but not great recent histories. And because I've earned, through the coin flip, the first pick in the draft, uh, Randy Carricker selects with the first pick. The New York Yankees. I knew you would do that, and that's the correct pick. Thank you. 
The Yankees should go first overall. Appreciate that. All right, so you're up. 27 World Championships, 40 pennants, 55 playoff appearances, 51 Hall of Famers with the Yankees. There's no other number one overall pick. Gary Cole says, I want to go there. Right. Managers say, I want that job. General managers say, I want that job. If you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. A city so nice, they named it twice. The number one media market. You're going to have a lot of endorsements. It's a great pick for you, Randy. Thank you. I'm 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 pleased with it. And I am also pleased that I got to pick second because if I was picking first, I would have picked the Yankees, of course. But I'm so happy to have this team fall into my lap with the second pick in the draft. Give me our St. Louis Cardinals. 29 playoff appearances, 23 pennants, 11 World Series championships, 50 Hall of Fame inductees, and the best fans of baseball are now mine. So I will take the St. Louis Cardinals with my second pick in the draft. They were my number two on my big board as well. All right, so now back-to-back picks for Emily Butcher. All right, um, let me hit the sounder real quick. I gotta kind of reach. So hold on one second. So for my first pick, I think I am going to go with the LA Dodgers. Strong, Emily, strong. Yeah, um, they've got six World Series championships, 10 Hall of Famers. Uh, They just won the most recent World Series championship. And I believe they've got a lot of potential. Yeah, they do. They've got a lot of potential. I believe they got a lot of potential. They do. They do. Good call. Yeah. That's who I've got for this one. Good. So next. My next pick, I am going to go with the, don't hate me, Boston Red Sox. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Nine nine World Series championships, nine Hall of Famers, and uh, they have won, what's that, two in the last decade. Um yeah, that's my that's four my, since oh four. Yeah, four since oh four. That's my that's my second pick. This thing has gone strictly according to my big board so far. Not mine. Oh, and Michelle is up. I actually had a team right above the Red Sox, a tick above the Red Sox. And give me the San Francisco Giants. 26 playoff appearances, 23 pennants, eight World Series champions, 61 Hall of Famers, and Arguably the most beautiful ballpark in baseball. Give me the San Francisco Giants. That's a terrific call. All right. Now, guys, I've got back-to-back, and I think we're going to have some controversy here. Uh Uh-oh. The most dominating franchise in baseball since the 90s on a regular season basis. They've developed a great fan base in the Southeast. They make tons of money, and we can argue that even though they don't have the world championship history, their winning pedigree is strong and players love playing there. Give me the Atlanta Braves. Not that controversial. I know that there historically are some teams that might be higher on the list as far as total winning, but the Braves are a great franchise. They've had a lot of a lot of strong players. They have a lot of players there now that are going to be there for the future, which is great. Okay, then I'll give you some more controversy then. Okay. I'm going to give you your first team that has yet to win a World Series. Okay. I'm going to give you a team, because I'm building for the future here with my draft, that has young talent, that has an incredible television contract, that has weather that's going to attract people, they have a beautiful ballpark, and they're the only game in town now. Give me the San Diego Padres. 
Damn, Randy, I wanted the Padres. That was a good pick. Good Thank pick. You. Historically, sure. again, not as much success. No, but. But I'm with you. All right. Okay, so I could go one of two ways here. There's two teams that I am going between. It's pretty back and forth. One has historically more success. You know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to debate this. Emily sound it. I'm ready. Give me the Oakland A's. Give me the A's. Let me break it down for you. 45 Hall of Famers. They've had nine World Series champions, 15 pennants, 28 playoff appearances, and arguably the best uniforms in the game. I love the Oakland A's uniforms. And more cities than anybody else. That's right. Philadelphia, Kansas City, Oakland. (laughs) But I got some California weather. And give me the A's. I feel great about that pick. Good call. All right. Emily's got a pair now. Okay. Man, I was going to go A's here. I know. It's tough. I wonder if you're going to pick the team that I was going between. Okay. Well, the next one in my order, I think I'm going to go. I don't know if this is the right decision. I think I'm going to go Chicago White Sox. Ooh. Wow. Wow, Emily. Wow. Chicago White Sox. Drafting for the future. I understand. That's exactly why. Drafting for the future. Drafting for the future. Um, Tim Anderson. I really like Lucas Giolito. Really like Lucas Giolito. I understand. Robert, Lance Lynn. Yeah. Robert. Yeah. Yep. I think there, I got a white sock. There's a there. lot to like there. There's a lot to like there. Manager that's going to be there for a long time. Sure. But a manager we love. We do love him. We love him. White Sox. Okay. Oh, wait. Emily's up again, yeah, right? Right. Let me hit the sounder. Okay. Man, this is tough. Follow, follow your board. Follow my board. Let the draft come to you, as Coach Venturi would say. For my next one, same division. I'm going to go Cleveland Indians. Oh, good. All right. I think they hold the and record for the longest sellout streak in history. Okay. With that, it's just with my boy Shane Bieber. Okay. Good call. Um, hit it for me, Emily, please. I am pleased to steal then from both of you the New York Mets. Number one market in baseball, mm. nine playoff appearances, five pennants. Not only give me Francisco Lindor, but give me Steve Cohn. I want the owner and I want the deep, deep pocketbook. So I will take the Mets. I'm now represented on both coasts and I have the best team in the Midwest. So I'm feeling great about the diversity of my draft. All right. I am. Uh, you've left me a couple of sleeping giants here. Uh, franchise that when they win has an unbelievable fan base, even though their post-game people aren't the brightest in the box. (laughs) But uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, man, if they win, they've got it going. So the Phillies are going to be my fourth pick. And then I am actually going to go off of my board a little bit because I've been left a franchise that I had down, but I'm going to go with them. I'm going to go with the Angels. Wow, okay. Uh, and I know you thought I was going to go with the Cubs, didn't you? Yes. Uh, 
So I, I'm going to go with the Angels with Trout and Otani and Rendon and the owner that's willing to spend a lot of money in the good weather and a really underrated fan base. They draw really well in Anaheim. So I was thinking history with the Reds, but the, I, I think the Phillies and Reds are too similar history-wise. So I'm going to take the Angels as my last pick. Okay. Well, then I'm ready. Give me the Cubs. I know they're our rival here in St. Louis, but historically, very interesting franchise. Very interesting. I know that there was a big drought in there, and I know things aren't going as great as they could be right now, but it's still the third biggest market in the country. It's one of the most recognizable brands in all of baseball. I think that they could potentially at some point retool and get get better. (laughs) But really, I made this pick because I want Wrigley Field. Even, Even with the monstrosity in the outfield, I want one of the two most historic ballparks in baseball. And Wrigley or Fenway. So nothing give me, like the smell of urine for a day game. And nothing like terrible beer in old style. So give <laughs> me the Chicago Cubs. All right. So Emily's got the last pick here. I think that leaves me with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you got the history there. Yep. Okay. Five championships, 10 Hall of Famers. Johnny Bench, mm-hmm. P. Rose, Cincinnati you? Reds. We will put our teams and our, our drafts up on Twitter and let you vote before tomorrow and you can always follow us on the Twitter machine at M Smallman at uh, Randy Carricker and uh, of course Instagram too and the Insta you getting close M Smallman not as close as we want but I know you're close to your goal I, am, I have reached my goal I'm taking a carrot cake to a listener uh, my 3,000 3, follower tonight nice so we'll put some something up on that great job as always by Michelle or by Emily thank you Thank you. Uh, Michelle, this was fun. It was. I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, We've got Danny Mack coming up with uh, BK here on 101 ESPN. For all of us, thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.